Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. In this episode, let's break down the career of Johnny Depp. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. We are super excited to be here talking about Johnny Depp. I actually wore a special shirt for this episode. Yeah, is that uh, Juliette Binoche from Chocolat? No, Chocolat. that's Winona Ryder. Is that Winona Ryder? Juliette Binoche. It looks like Juliette Binoche. That angle, like her chin looks like Juliette Binoche. Oh my, no, no, it's, it's Winona Ryder. I was like, is that Winona? But then I was like, is yeah. it Juliette Binoche? She kind of looks like Juliette Binoche in that photo. It's not At like, that angle, although it's not Juliette a very, has a much sharper nose than Winona. I get it, but like the angle, it doesn't 100% look like Winona. If you know what I, I think mean. it hundred percent looks like. It, you know, I mean, it looks I like it, but high. it looks like. So they, when I showed it to you earlier, and you were like, "Oh, that's that shirt's my, great my, for it," my you thought first, it was Juliet. My immediate thought was, "Is that Winona Ryder?" And then I was like, "Maybe it's Juliet Binoche because she, it looks like she's eating a piece of chocolate, or actually, it's probably a cigarette." Oh, no, no, it's from Heather's. Gotcha. Yeah, all right. I haven't seen Heather's in a while. It looks like Juliet Binoche too. Or I, she does. But fun fact: it's actually a piece of wardrobe from our film, from our short film. I got a bunch of pieces of wardrobe because I wasn't sure one of the characters to wear a t-shirt, and I want to do a graphic tee. I wasn't sure what exactly to get, so I got a bunch of things at a thrift store, and it actually is very soft and comfortable, and I love Winona Ryder, so I was like, I'm going to keep this for myself. Yeah, Winona's great. Yeah. I, I thought it was like a highbrow, like, artsy <laughs> film thing. because I mean, I, Nobody would know what that movie that's is. That's what I mean. I'll, I mean, I mean we'll talk about I mean, it. I mean, Chocolat, Juliette Binoche stars in that with Johnny Depp, but she's also uh, a French actress in a lot of great movies. Oh, with The English Patient, she's really great in as well. She She's also fluent in Italian and is in actually, she in, is in Italian films as well. Because she's, in, uh, she's, she's, Europe, smart. she's European and she's, cultured she's intelligent. versus Americans. Yeah. yeah, we speak English pretty good down here. She is one of the best actors alive, in my opinion. She's great. Yeah. Which of the Three Colors movies is she in? Blue? Or? She's in Blue. Okay, yeah. They're all amazing, but hers is more about grief, and it's really a powerful film. Yeah, I thought that. I thought you were like throwing people off with how <laughs> I, I think it's artsy. I think it's obvious. Even. I'm gonna stand up for the camera. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it looks like it Winona. looks like both of them. It doesn't. I'm telling you, just the the angle and the shot, it looks like it'd be either one. Are you of those women? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> They're just two brunettes, two wonderful and talented Extremely and beautiful. Successful. Brunette way way actresses. better at way way more talented than we are. Way more talented, <laughs> like, like beyond close. talented. I mean, Winona was like such a prodigy. She, I mean, she was she worked in a 
Scorsese movie when she was like 24. It's crazy. It's pretty wild. Tim Burton, Scorsese. And I mean, we all know she was supposed to be in Godfather Part 3. Yeah, so it was at she, a very young she age was, as well. Yeah, hired by Coppola. So imagine that in just a, a few years in your 20s. Isn't that crazy? Acting with some of the biggest actors of all time. But yeah, that's that's pretty cool. You threw me off. I thought it was like, uh, I'm going to get him. He's going to think it's Winona Ryder. But it's actually Juliette Binoche <laughs> you look like eating chocolate. You look like an idiot. I do look, you look like a fool. You look like a fool. I do look like a fool. Anyways, Alora, let's get into Johnny Depp, who I think is one of the most interesting actors of the last several decades. I think he's a really interesting guy, too, off camera, because he's a full-fledged musician, and he started out as a musician and kind of was a reluctant actor. Yeah, he was a guitarist first, right? Yeah, uh, he wasn't full-time, but he was just working odd jobs uh, as a guitarist, and he had a bunch of bands in L.A., and that was his dream and his goal. And there's actually a story. Nick Cage actually got him into acting. They hung out because of one of their girlfriends, and then they became friends and drinking buddies. Was it buddies. Julia Pinoche? <laughs> yeah, it was Julia Pinoche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick Cage and him became drinking buddies. And then Cage was like, hey, you should try out acting. And he actually got him an audition for A Nightmare on Elm Street. And then Wes Craven loved his audition. The rumor is that Wes Craven's daughter really liked Johnny. And, Who doesn't like Johnny? <laughs> and so I think it helped him get the role in A Nightmare on Elm Street. But that's how he got his first ever role was because Nick Cage got him the connections to get to an audition for that. You know what's interesting? When you watch that movie now, I mean, what, 40 years later and after wow, watching Johnny yeah. in his career, growing up watching his movies for so long, he had such like an adult Johnny Depp sounding voice. Like his, his voice sounded the same as it kind of does now, like in the early, in the 2000s, I feel like. And then like you hear him screaming like, oh no, and like the Johnny Depp yeah, voice. Yeah. I'm like, he sounds way, way older than he did. Because some people have like a more deep mature voice, yeah. voice as, they're, as they're younger versus when they get older. Well, I mean, Austin Butler has a very deep voice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it well, depends it, on the person. It's Elvis voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, I think he just trained his muscles and then yeah, his, yeah. his vocal cords just transformed. I think a lot of people don't understand that. A lot of actors, they train their voices yeah. to sound different as they're getting into their craft. It's the same thing as like a radio show host. You have to like ex you have to train your voice to speak uh, more uh, uh, more loudly. <laughs> wow, man of words. <laughs> <laughs> words are tough. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. What the hell was I saying? <laughs> you mean like you better to, diction? You have to project. Clarity. You have to project yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. But projecting more, not just not by screaming, but projection that you learn, like singers learn or vocalists learn. Oh, you gotcha. Project your voice by strengthening your muscles in your uh -huh. in your throat and and everything, to, rather than not screaming, but you're projecting a little loud. A lot of people train their voices as act. As I know. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. That's why a, Johnny, lot of, a Johnny, lot of actors yeah. sound sexy as hell. Yeah, Johnny did have a, a deep voice for. I mean, because he. Cause he didn't seem like he would, but he does. And I mean, he was such a. What I always find really cool about him is his reluctance to be a star until the obviously the 2000s with Pirates. But in the 90s, he was so averse to stardom and so averse to fame because he really blew up with 21 Jump Street. That made him a teen idol and superstar and the heartthrob of Hollywood. But he rejected it all and he he kept pursuing weird movie projects and film directors that no one had heard of and. You know, taking chances on these weird, bizarre movies. And I really do respect his career choices for most of his career. In the 2000s, it's kind of questionable at times. But in the 90s, he was making really terrific choices for, be for being the most famous actor alive. And he could have made so much more money. But he decided to just keep making these interesting projects. But I have a lot of respect for him as an artist and as, as an actor. He made that money in the 2000s. He made the money eventually. The Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. I believe his movies have in total grossed 
over $9 billion at the box office hole. And I have it right Something here. Something like so, that, yeah. Yeah, his movies have grossed $8.3 billion when he's the leading actor in addition to other roles he's done. And, and his top highest grossing films are obviously his top six, five of them are the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. The first one is not The Curse of the Black Pearl, the one that came out in 2006 is that uh, Dead Man Tell- At World's End. At World's End is his highest grossing one at one point. Zero six billion, but his top three are, are two pirates movies, Alice in Wonderland, then three more pirates movies, then Fantastic Beasts, Charlie and Charlie, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. So he's obviously worked in franchises in the two thousands. But you're right in the two in the nineteen nineties, he made a ton of great movies, a lot of really underrated movies, as well as having small roles in movies like Platoon that maybe people don't realize that he ha- is in mm-hmm. that movie as well. Yeah, he's he's a really interesting guy. But I would say he's you could argue he's the most talented actor to never win an Oscar. Three nominations. He's only yeah. got one Golden Globe. That's all he's ever won. Yeah, it's. I mean, I it's... think he he won the Bahamas Film Festival Best Actor <laughs> Award. But <laughs> congrats, Johnny. That's a prized possession. No offense to the Bahamas Film Festival. But that's a real thing. Or if he made it up, is it legit? <laughs> no, I made. I, <laughs> okay. No, no, it's real. It's real. It's real. He, he's won a Bahamas Film Festival Award. Nice. Good for him. Good for him. I, I skimmed the award <laughs> list, and I thought that'd be a funny joke to pepper in. But it is odd. He's so he's so supremely talented. And he's and he's made so many memorable. And beloved characters did not win the award. It's it's very interesting. What did he win the gold Golden Globe for? He won that for, um, I think it was the Peter Pan movie. Oh, Finding Neverland. No, no, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. He won the Golden Globe. He oh, was nominated. for musical. Yeah. Okay. So he, yeah, they separate the categories for actor and musical. His comedy. nominations yeah. are for Finding for uh, best pirates. Actor. Yeah, pirates Finding Neverland and probably, um, Deadwood. Deadwood. I mean. No, Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Oh, sorry, yes, yeah, Sweeney Todd. Finding yeah. Neverland. And uh, no, Curse and, the Black Pearl. Yeah. yeah, Pirates, yeah. So those are just three Oscar noms. It's so rare for a Disney movie to get Oscar nominations for actors. Well, not anymore because they own every goddamn company. <laughs> <laughs> every time you go to the movies, that company's owned by Disney. <laughs> legit. Unless legit. it's like Paramount or Universal. Yeah. <laughs> but he really is, with without a doubt, one of the most successful actors of all time. And obviously his films, like you said, gross $9 billion and counting. He he has earned close to $700 million as an actor. So we want to hear some crazy success stats. Please. I right. am enthralled. So Giant Depp's films. They Now, this only is recorded from the two, from 2000 to like recently. So that's only this last 24-year span. He's grossed $650 million. That's not even counting the 90s because in the 90s he was making movies, but they were super low budget. So he's never making big t- paychecks. So just in the last 20, 22 years, $650 million. And obviously I think everybody knows he's a lavish spender and and he's kind of squandered a lot of his fortune in a lot of ways. But I don't think he – he probably doesn't view it as squander. I think he's just living life. You know, you only get one life, so YOLO. Why not? YOLO. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> right now, it's in, and people think that actors like him and Nick Cage, they're bankrupt. They're not bankrupt. They're still worth like lots of money. So right now, Giant Depp is still worth $150 million. Plus, he just got the extra, I believe it was $15 million for the lawsuit he won. So uh, in in total, probably his biggest paycheck was for Pirates 3, which he got $65 million for. Just straight up front? He gets, So for the Pirates movies, he gets $25 million up front, and then he makes a lot on back end. And his probably his number one paycheck though was for Alice in Wonderland because that made so much back end. The first one or the, the first, first one. one. The second one didn't make as much, but the first one was a massive hit. And actors like him, they're not just getting the, the salary of twenty million, twenty five million. They're getting five percent of gross, and that includes everything. 
from merchandise to box office to DVDs to rentals. So, so he's got checks coming in every every month. His royalties are probably still absurd to this day. But he is famous for being a lavish spender. So I have some a list of things that uh, he has spent a lot of money on. So let's hear this. He he bought an island in the Bahamas for three point six million dollars. I think everybody knows that he bought an island. Yeah, that's where he got the award for <laughs> for Bahamas, <laughs> the Bahamas best actor Bahamas in the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> so this island actually had no housing at all when he first bought it, and so it has since been outfitted with solar paneled buildings, a house with stunning three sixty views for depth when he stays there, and all sorts of stuff as well. Can you now, imagine owning an island? It's super cool. Also, 3.6 isn't that much. That much. You could, I mean, houses in LA are that much. The expensive thing is probably getting there. Yeah. So that the actual logistics of owning an island is probably more expensive than the purchase. And he probably has people that stay there 24-7. Oh, there's definitely that someone there, that, yeah. That someone there. must stay there just to keep up and make sure, like, no one shows up. <laughs> like, party. <laughs> so he's actually famous for his monthly expenses as well. So at one point in time, I'm not sure if this is the case anymore, he was spending $2 million a month on bills. According, This is according to his management firm. So he would spend $300,000 every month on a 40-person staff, $10,000 every day for security detail, $350,000 per month maintaining his yacht, which he recently sold to J.K. Rowling for $27 million. Goodness. <laughs> oh, my God. $30,000 a month for wine, although he said that it was insulting to say that I spent $30,000 on wine because it was far more. <laughs> <laughs> My guy. And then $100,000 per month to uh, his doctor to treat his addiction, issue, addiction issues. He also bought a French village in south of France. He spent $75 million buying the village and also fixing it up. And so it's this big property. Dozens and dozens of acres in a rural area of France. And it has, a, I would say, I think it's about a dozen homes. And so he bought the entire piece of land, refurbished the homes, and now he's looking to sell it. So he fixed them all up. And it seems like a good investment, although I'm not sure. From what I read, he's not going to get his asking price for what he wants for it. But, I mean, he owns a village in France, which is pretty cool. I mean, who So could... he's going to sell the village? He's trying to sell the village, yeah. To whom? Rich people who want to... <laughs> I mean, it was, it's a nice area for, like, rich people to vacation, I would say. Like, I guess. It would be cool home. to stay in Johnny Depp's town in France. It's literally, It has, like, a bar and a restaurant and all sorts of stuff. There's, like, a town cent like, a village center. There's some lady who sweeps the streets every day. <laughs> She's just out there. <laughs> One of my favorite things he spent a lot of money on. So, obviously, he was famous for being... He's, he is famous for being friends with... Hunter S. Thompson, the writer, and he even played uh, his character in uh, Leaving Las Vegas Loosely and a, ver and a version it. of him in The Rum Diary as well. But the Hunt the Leaving Las Vegas one is like more accurate to Hunter S. Thompson and what he was really like. The Rum Diary was more of like it was a nonfiction fiction novel that he wrote. And when Hunter S. Thompson passed away, he want he asked Johnny Depp he wanted uh, to be shot out of a cannon, his ashes to be shot out of a cannon with fireworks, and the cannon had to have and be in the shape of a hand and have two thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny Depp actually paid for all this, and it cost $5 million to do this cannon shot with the fireworks and to, act, and to actually build that specific kind of cannon. But apparently it was like a crazy party and a bunch of A-list actors and celebrities were there to see off the ashes of Hunter S. Thompson. And, uh, I mean, there's all sorts of things you probably don't know about. And the thing is, yes, it's wasteful, but it is his money, so he has the right to do whatever he wants with it. And he is not broke, certainly not. He's still getting a lot of residuals and a lot of, a lot of royalties. And just because someone probably doesn't have as much money in their bank account doesn't mean they're still broke. The guy owns a lot of property, and his overall estate is still worth $150 million. 
and I'm sure, I guarantee there's a studio that wants to make him a huge offer to be in something relatively soon. So uh, even though he has spent a lot of money, he still has quite a bit of money, and I think he has a lot of potential to keep earning a lot of money. And when it comes to actors who we've grown up with watching and who've been around for the last several decades, and even all time, Johnny Depp's in the conversation for possibly like a top 10 actor, male leading actor of all time. He has a ridiculous filmography, even before the 2000s where, you know, he's making a lot of franchise movies, obviously with the Pirates movies, Alice in Wonderland movies, making all these big roles. But before that, he was making great movies. I mean, his first movie role of all time is Nightmare on Elm Street. That is absolutely one of the so best cool. horror movies ever. 1984. He's not yeah. the lead, but he's still pretty prominent role in that film. And moving on from there, he's in Private Resort, Platoon, Crybaby, which got him to becoming a heartthrob. And then obviously his TV series, 21 Jump Street, where he was the lead for Crybaby and Edward Scissorhands came out in the same year. And Edward Scissorhands was also the first collaboration that he did with Tim Burton. And it's hands down still their best movie they've made together. I agree. They've made some great, great movies. Nothing, nothing against their work together. But Edward Scissorhands is still a classic. It's a really underrated movie. I try to watch it every couple of years. And if you haven't seen it in a while, give it a rewatch. It's tremendous. And Danny Elfman's score is so magical. And then also even movies like Benny and June. He plays a character. He was nominated for it. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. terrific in that movie. Nominated for what? Uh, Oscar. Like, go, for an Oscar? Yeah. No, he's not. No. Oh, and a Globe. Sorry, Globe. Globe. Yeah. He's got like eight Globe nominations, yeah. yeah. But a character like that is so underrated on his career because he's got so many memorable ones in big movies, but even his character in that, he plays this film buff. But it's a really fun role where he's kind of like taking on the characteristics of film legends from the silent era because he plays a cinephile so it's actually like a really really relatable role if you're a cinephile and love movies like us and you can't help but quote movies while you're watching them and stuff like that so it's actually a really great performance that not a lot of people have probably ever seen what's eating gilbert grape really great role really great movie ed wood uh then we have list them all bro Don, go for moving it. up to i'm just listing the, the yeah, bangers the bangers donnie brasco in 1997 starring movie. opposite al pacino very underrated crime movie that no one ever talks about it's i love there. that movie. it's never put on lists but it really could be up there for some of the one of the best for no, sure 1989 fear and loathing in las vegas and then in 1999 he's in the ninth gate which i adore that oh, yeah. movie it's so good Sleepy Hollow as well. And then the worst movie in his career is probably The Astronaut's Wife, which is... Or Mordecai. Mordecai. But I don't know. The Astronaut's Wife is pretty, pretty I've bad. I've seen some of Mordecai, and it's really bad. It's, like, really bad. And then 2000, he's in Chocolat, which was a huge box office hit. 2001, he's in Blow and From Hell. And then Pirates of the Caribbean, that starts in 2003. Also in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Secret Window in 2004. I love that movie. It's a great little mystery noir. If you've never seen it for the first time, it's... A great twist. You'll never look at corn the same way. <laughs> <laughs> as well as Finding Neverland. He was in that year, which came out. I mean, got him an Oscar nomination. Charlie and Chocolate Factory 2005. Corpse Bride was his first voiceover work, which he's clearly very suited for. He's got a tremendous speaking voice, but he does great character acting for voices as well. I mean, to, not to mention So Rango. that came out before Rango. Yeah, Rango was in 2011, uh -huh. actually. Okay. All right. So then 2006, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. 2007, he had World at World's End 
and Sweeney Todd in that year as well. Wow, Sweeney same Todd year. got an Oscar nomination, yeah. and he revealed to the world that he has a, a terrific singing voice as well. Did all of his own singing in that. 2009, another big year. He had Public Enemies, which he made with Michael Mann playing John Dillinger. He's played like five real-life characters, maybe real-life people in movies before, maybe more. He also had one of the parts as Tony in The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus after Heath Ledger's passing when him, Jude Law, Colin Farrell, and— Them three. Was it them three who, yeah. who finished up the movie yeah. for— For uh, for the dream sequence. For Heath Ledger. Yeah. Then in 2010, Alice in Wonderland, which made a billion dollars— the Tourist, which was a bomb, critically and financially. <laughs> 2011, he's got five movies that come out that year. So he actually has a cameo. Five? Yeah. Well, he's got, he got a cameo in Hugo, uh-huh. but he's a producer on that movie, which maybe a lot of people don't know. He's, he's producing good movies. He's just a, an art, a street artist that uh, Chloe Grace Moretz and Asa Butterfield walk past while they're talking. He's just sitting there drawing. That makes a lot of sense because he produced the film. Yes. His production company was uh, one of the producing companies. And then he in 2011, he's also in Rango, which is such a terrific animated film. So 2011, Rango, <laughs> Hugo cameo, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, The Rum Diary, which was meh, and then Jack and Jill, he plays himself. Not a huge fan of that movie, but there's a bunch of great cameos. It's a cameo. It's a yeah. cameo. 2012, he's in 21 Jump Street, reclaiming his role as Tom Hansen as an uncredited cameo from his old TV days, as well as Dark Shadows, not a very well-received film from him and Tim Burton. 2013, he's in The Lone Ranger. 2014, he's got another great cameo in Tusk, which is a very disturbing. That's not a cameo, that's a role. It's all right, yeah, yeah it's he's a role. in a bunch of scenes. He's also into the in, into the woods. The he's the wolf, the wolf, big bad wolf. And then wolf. he's in Transcendence, which was not a good movie, and that was a bomb. 2015, Mordecai and Black Mass, which Black Mass might be his most terrifying role. I can't wait to I can't wait to go through all these roles because they're tremendous. 2016, another big year. Um, he had Alice through the Looking Glass, the sequel to the first film, then Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. It's his first time playing Gellert Grindelwald. Then 2017. Murder on the Orient Express, Pirates of the Caribbean, tell, Dead Men Tell No Lies, as well as Black Gondola. 2018, he's in Sherlock Gnomes. He plays <laughs> Sherlock Gnomes. <laughs> he's back as Gellert Grindelwald in Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And then he plays Richard Brown, The Professor. And really, he hasn't done much except for in 2020, he was in Minamata, where he played real-life photojournalist W. Eugene Smith. And then he's just, we just got our first image of him as uh, King Louis the Fifteenth in La Favorite. And so actually, when you go through his career, it's not a ton of movies, not a ton of roles compared to other actors who've been as active as him for the last four or five decades. But also, he has the luxury of getting paid a lot. Oh, yeah. So, But what's also really cool about him is even when he does the big budget, huge Hollywood studio movies, he still is a chameleon actor and still has a completely different look. I mean, to have Mordecai and then when you say Black Mask came out in the same year, I mean, it looks like different people. Yeah. You know, it's so even when he's in the studio system, he's still really stretching his acting muscles. He's really exploring different looks. And even though something like Mordecai is a bad movie, he's trying something different. He's not just phoning it in. He never phones it in, you could say. And he always looks like he gives it 100% and really dedicates himself to the craft. And I I think that for actors, it's only a rare few really dedicate themselves into the appearance of their roles and to really, like, really put the work into transform the way they look. 
for whether it be a su- stupid little comedy like Mordecai or something serious like a crazy crime thriller based on real events like Black Mass. And he is always, no matter what the movie is, changed his appearance. He never looks like Johnny Depp in his movies. It's always a, a character. That, Sometimes he looks like like little, I feel like Ninth Gate and some others. He looks maybe, like Johnny Depp. Maybe okay, Sh- like uh, right. I'll, I'll River uh, uh, Chocolat. No, well he had super long hair in Chocolat. He he looked He's like not, a gypsy. I guess yeah. No, he had the huge. What's the name? River Roo? Row. River Row. Yeah, just R O U X. Yeah, River Row. River yeah Row. But I mean, I suppose. But I, he still from movie to movie, it's always something different. Even when it's the big movie, so I really appreciate that. Obviously, except for Jack Sparrow, who always has the same look. But Jack Sparrow is probably, I think, my favorite look of a character for him. But I just really appreciate how, even though he's getting huge big bucks and making a big budget movie, he's still putting in the work. But people need – I think a lot of people don't realize is they made the Pirates, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Disney made that movie. I doubt they expected they'd make six, five movies out of it and that no they'd way. make a billion dollars a pop later on. I mean, that movie – only became a franchise because of Johnny Depp's performance, because of what he did with Jack Sparrow. We did an episode on the original trilogy that was a good episode, of yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. We discussed how the studio hated what he was doing with his performance and the design of the character and how he based it on, what's his name, the guitarist? Keith Richards, Keith Richards. and Pepe Le Pew. That's who he's based the character on. <laughs> it's pretty damn accurate. Pepe Le Pew is pretty... It's it's very outdated. You know, nowadays. lots of improvisation on set, and you know, yeah. this is a huge movie. This is the Pirates of the Caribbean. He was also movie. rewriting dialogue. So uh, yeah. the studio obviously wasn't planning on this to be as successful as it was. They probably thought it was going to fail because what they thought he was doing on set wouldn't work. They didn't. I mean, they. Pl- I'm sure they planned on it making money. They didn't expect it to be the mammoth Goliath movie franchise that ended up becoming. Yeah, that's what I mean. But I mean, they invested. Yeah, they'll million make dollars. like three hundred million dollars. They invested a lot in it. You know, they want. They wanted it to do well, but. The thing with Jack Sparrow is Jack Sparrow was originally supposed to be like the straight-laced action hero, and Hugh Jackman was the original number one for that role, and that's who they wanted, and they were developing that script for Hugh Jackman to play, like, you know, the typical Hollywood brawny action hero, and it just didn't work out with Hugh Jackman, I'm sure, because of X-Men, my guess. Did you say Hugh Jackman? Well, I mean, he is huge. (laughs) Huge. Hugh Jackman. He's more like it. (laughs) And then, obviously, they turned to Giant Depp, who had the talent, but he also had the star power. He had never done a huge studio picture like that before. But he is, like I said, even when he's doing a big-budget movie, he still wants to be as incredible of an actor as he always is and wants to push the boundaries of the story they're telling and really wants to find a new character and to really develop this character. And he felt, I'm, I mean, I'm sure he felt so strongly about this take on Jack Sparrow and turning it into a comedic character with so much charisma and personality that wasn't on the page. And you're, I, you're right. I totally believe that the Pirates movie, the first film, Damien's Chest, and then the rest of the franchise, it only worked because Johnny Depp was so fantastic and incredible in that role and it's a testament to him as an actor it's clearly his best movie you know it's his number one rated movie it's my favorite it's It's my everybody's favorite giant debt movie for the most part but i mean i respect the hell out of this guy's career because of the choices he's made he didn't really start doing these big blockbuster films really until the 2000s and in between that time he was making some bangers man i mean (laughs) movies like blow 
fly under the radar still. I feel like people should be talk still don't really talk about Blow because I think it's a really terrific movie. Not to mention I'm I love movies like Sleepy Hollow as well as a bunch of others he did in the 1990s. I mean, Edward Scissorhands, obviously, in 1990. Ed Wood is a yeah. really good movie he did in yeah. 1994. Not to mention, like we, like we talked about, Donnie Brasco, a very underrated crime movie based on a real FBI informant going opposite Al Pacino. And it's ironic because it's maybe Pacino's most reserved performance. He's not really like Al Pacino going crazy. Like, <laughs> And then Johnny's kind of a very, very reserved performance in that as well. It's very nuanced. Well, I think that Johnny is really underrated for what he can do with the understated, more stoic characters. Yeah, I, I concur. Because when people talk about him or make lists about him, and you'll just search like Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp characters, and it'll be photo albums or photo compilations of all the the zany ones with the incredible outfits and wardrobe and makeup and hair. But then the other ones always get left out. But like movies like I mean, I really love Shock a lot. I think it's terrific and he's amazing in it. From Hell is a really great uh, Victorian investigative film about Jack the Ripper and he plays the detective on the case. Another just quite understated just reserved performance. And also Public Enemies, he's great as John Dillinger. Uh, but again, it's not too out there. It's not super chewy as an actor but he still makes it work really well and does a lot of great stuff in it the thing with public enemies and john dillinger to stay on that for a second is mm. of all the roles he took up until that time in his career was 2009 he really never done anything quite like that kind of like a just an evil character or just this this kind of you know dark person who we'd, we'd seen him do like dark characters but they've always been protagonists that you truly root for versus this guy being a murderer and a killer and a, and a thief and uh, the most prolific criminal in, in the United States at the time. He'd never really done anything like that before. I mean, I, he'd done undercover work. He'd, done, he'd been cops in movies. But like this was the first time he, he took a character on like that that was kind of just like a little more straight edged. But he, yeah. he even though it's supposed to be like an unlikable person, John Dillinger, even though he was like a celebrity to a lot of people, he brought so much like Johnny Depp mysticism to him because Johnny Depp has that magical quality no matter what role it. he's in he's got it he, he can make you fall in love with him even if he's a murderer yeah he has that it's, there's something infectious about him when you see him on screen when you see him performing and even with a minimal role like that it's more very minimalist in terms of the approach in terms of obviously it's a Michael Mann movie Michael Mann movies are a certain stone, tone and style it's definitely not Tim Burton you know <laughs> And Christian Bale's in that movie too as Melvin Purvis, and they're both very understated characters and performances, but they work really well with the film that Michael Mann made. But I also think that, you know, he does a great job in those. Also, Ninth Gate is terrific. He's a, a, a like a book expert who's investigating this crazy. I don't want to spoil it, but it's insane. What a phenomenal yeah, movie. What a great I, if movie. no one's ever seen The Ninth Gate, yeah. Roman go Plansky. check it out. It's a Plansky yeah, movie. Plansky. It's, it's up there and like top five of his career it's yeah. so suspenseful terrific i love anything with that kind of mythology of like angels and demons and yeah, it's yeah. So when it's done well it's it's really interesting it's it's a terrific performance from depp i really love, i've seen it like four or five times i yeah. like it a lot i but my my theory is that he obviously loves working in movies like that and i mean you're not going to say no to polanski you're not going to say no to working with michael mann obviously i mean it's michael mann but it seems like with directors like tim burton and Gore Verbinski, Gore Verbinski made the first three Pirates movies and Rango, so they had a, a great working relationship. 
I think with those directors, they really let him, you know, just do what you want to do, bro. Just just be you. Just do whatever. And really really let Johnny stretch his stre- stretch his imagination and experiment and try something really outlandish for the roles. And so I suppose that's why he always goes back to Tim Burton. And that's why they must have an amazing uh, collaborative working relationship. Because... You know, I'm sure other directors like Michael Mann probably tones him, toned him down in a lot of the ways. And obviously you're playing a real person, so you want to try to stay true to that. But I think that he enjoys working on the, on the f- pictures that let him really do what he wants to do and explore the characters. And it seems to be like he enjoys it because he's an actor who's famous for not watching his own films. And for him, he says that the act of performing and making the film is all he needs and is more than enough for him and that he has no desire to watch the films after they're made. And so he's just living the experience and like the craft of acting is more important to him than watching it on screen, which is interesting. He's a true chameleon too. When you're going through all of his roles, obviously most of them are made up. They're fictional characters, you know, Sweeney Todd, the Mad Hatter, Jack Sparrow. But he's played so many real-life people. Like just going down the list we have, uh, Ed Wood, Edward Scissorhands, just kidding. Ed Wood, <laughs> he plays, in Finding Neverland, he plays the writer. J.M. Barry. Uh, J.M. Barry, the guy who wrote Peter Pan, that Donnie Brasco. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, he's basically playing Hunter S. Thompson. We also have, let's see, more real people. Public Did you see Whitey Bulger? John Dillinger, Black Mass, Whitey Bulger. He also plays a real character, a real person in the the teacher one or the the journalist one, the Rome Diary. Yeah, no, no, the journalist one. Which one? The one from twenty eighteen, or twenty twenty? I mean, oh, the the photojournalist. Yeah, photojournalist. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I brought that up earlier. I can't. What was it called? I can't remember. Me neither. So, <laughs> Minamate. So he's played real people like seven or eight times in his career. He's playing a real person in his next film, the the Louis yeah. the Fifteenth movie. So he's just a true chameleon, and it doesn't matter what he's doing, but he brings so much to every role and just loses himself in, inside each role. You know it's Johnny Depp, but he's one of those actors that they're unrecognizable. He brings so much to every performance physically as well as acting-wise. I mean, the movie where he plays that cinephile, there's so much physical performance in that. He's, he's a great physical actor, and obviously Jack Sparrow is one of the most physically comedic characters we've seen this century. I mean, hearkening back to Charlie Chaplin and and Douglas Fairbanks, just great physical comedy and great physical acting that it's out of place for most movies and most contemporary films. You don't In 99% of movies, you don't see characters moving the way he does as Jack Sparrow in that movie. It's kind of an old style of film acting, but it's, it just works with him. He, he nails it with Jack Sparrow. Yeah, it's kind of, and it, he plays so well off of everyone else because everyone else is playing it straight. You know what I mean? But it's it's hard to pick favorite movies. So we have a few lists. Oh, we love lists. So I have so I have a list for his five worst movies, then a list for his five most underrated movies, then a list of his five best character designs, and then a list of his top five movies of all time. So you, you want to run through some? Run through some. Yeah. Which one do you want to do first? Let's do let's do top character designs. Top character designs for Johnny Depp. Let's see what I put down. What do you got? Obviously, number one is Jack Sparrow. The entire look is brilliant. It plays. You know, when you're imagining a pirate as a kid, it's freaking Jack Sparrow. And, like, that's <laughs> if you're a pirate, you want to be Jack Sparrow. You want to be just like him. The look, the hat, the beard, the facial hair, the, the long hair, 
the the tattoos, the the flowing wardrobe, the teeth. everything about Jack yeah. Sparrow plays, and the character design is tremendous and one of the most iconic and memorable character designs in film history. Everybody who has access to film, if they're lucky enough and fortunate enough like us, everyone knows who Jack Sparrow is. Oh, yeah. It says famous as Indiana Jones. Who's your number two? Number two for character designs, I have Edward Scissorhands. His most odd, <laughs> hilarious, and nonsensical character design of all time that Tim Burton came up with with his character, Edward. I, I love the suit. I love the hair, the very pale skin, the scars all over his face from being born with scissors for hands and trying to obviously grow up with that. You can see just backstory just from the character design of this person and his suit that he's made. And I, I think it just works so well with this nightmarish fairy tale. And it's just a, a trip of a character. And it just works so well. Yeah. Number three? Number three, I got Mad Hatter. It is nice. so unique and flamboyant and colorful and interesting and looks almost alien. But it fits the, the world of Alice in Wonderland so well. If you're going to make a movie out of it in the 21st century, like the design they came up with with Johnny Depp for the Mad Hatter, it's, it's tremendous. Yeah, wonderful. Then I have Sweeney Todd. The Demon Barber. I mean, it's, come on, it's great. The, the wig, the hair is great. The white streak. Again, he plays a lot of characters with very pale skin and dark bags under their eyes. That's Burton style. Yeah, and it's just like like yeah. the Corpse Bride, obviously. But I think that Sweeney Todd's iconic look for a character design. And it's one of those roles that's been done not just in film, but it's just huge on on stage and theater and so the office that, did it. The, <laughs> Andy Dufresne. Our dog I mean, did not it. Different. Andy, Andy, Andy Dufresne. Andy. What's his last? Andy. Um. Crap. What's his last name? Um. Andy. I don't know. The Nard dog. I can't remember. Is, I'm blanking right now. You can tell I haven't watched The Office in a while. When I yeah. Well you, well, you haven't. I haven't seen you yeah. watch The Office in a long time. Andy. The Office. Hold on. The Andy. Office, Andy. Andy Bernard. Bernard. God. The Nard Dog. God damn it. Nard Dog. Nard Dog. Yeah. All right. What's your number five? Number five, I have um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. The design that they came up with based on basically Hunter S. Thompson's look is hilarious. It's, it's just funny to see Johnny Depp, who's such a, a good looking guy, with like that design of this like horribly disheveled person. The He's hair. got this yeah. huge like comb over bald balding going on. He's got the the sunglasses, the the big cigarette stick and the uh the visor, the the jackets. It's just a great character design. Some of the best physical acting you ever see in a movie too as well. Oh, but yeah. I think the design is just so fun. Yeah, it's it's a great pick. All right, here are my top five. At number five I have Black Mass, Whitey Bulger. Character design was really terrific. And they just they added like this texture to his skin. They made his skin look old. You know what I mean? And when he's wearing the outfits, like the bomber jackets and those sunglasses, it's like, oh my god, this guy looks like a killer. And it was so intimidating on screen. Plus the blue contact yeah, the lenses, con yeah. the blonde hair. They yeah. did a great job transforming him. His teeth looked off too. He did look quite like him. Yeah, he looked a lot like him. Next up at number four, I have I also have Sweeney Todd at number four. I love the design. I love the hair. The pale skin, it's a uh, Tim Burton namesake. It's He likes it to be, the actress to feel like porcelain dolls is what he says. So that's why the actor's always so pale. And and also, like, the outfit is great. Like, his main outfit is great. But then I really like the stripes, like, romper he's wearing on the beach. <laughs> it's yeah. really funny. It's so funny. And next up, I have Everett Scissorhands, for all the reasons you said. It's such a unique look. It's so imaginative, but also has the horror element to it, like all Tim Burton things. Uh, really special design for a character. 
I especially like like all the scars all over his face because he has this like innocent quality to him. And then you see the scars on his face, and it's, it's like such a damaged person you know, or being. He's not even technically a person. You know what I mean? He's more of a robot than he is a, a human being. Uh, but then you see his eyes, and his eyes show the soul of that being behind that disheveled, crazy hair and the scarred-up face. Really terrific design. I also have Geller Grindelwald. That's, that's a good choice. I really like the design of the character. Uh, J.K. didn't go too much description in the books about Geller Grindelwald's look, but what Johnny Depp came up with was really fantastic and surprising. The super bleach blonde hair, he almost has like an albino quality to him. And then the glass eye and his outfit. So in the second film, in The Crimes of Grindelwald, you get to see like the undercut, the hairstyle, his cool outfit. And his wand. I really liked the character design. It was very unexpected. And when you saw him for the first time at the end of Fantastic Beast 1, you're like, oh my god, it was Grindelwald. It was crazy. Is he wearing a glass eye? I believe he has a glass eye. The, so Johnny's wearing a glass eye? I believe so. Yeah. I might be. I thought it was just contact lens because Gellert has uh, heterochromia. Oh, it might be. Oh, I'm sorry. That's what it is. Um, that's what it is. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, my bad. So yeah, it's heterochromia. That's when you have two different eye colors. Different color eye yeah. It's actually more common than you think. Actresses, actors, and actresses actually have it. Um, Mila Kunis has heterochromia. Wow. In case you ever noticed, she got like one green and one blue eye. Oh, cool. Never noticed. There's, that. A, there's like a handful of celebrities that you'd be shocked. Oh, yeah, like, Holy bet. crap! They have different color eyes. Like, unbelievable. Yeah. So Geller, it's, it's has a mutation. Heterochromia, and I love how one's just pale white. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. That's what make. That's why I thought it, it looks was glass like eye. a glass yeah. eye. It's just very creepy. But I, I found the design of the character to be because it's a famous character, and everyone was anticipating the look, and it didn't disappoint. It was very cool. Did not. And then at number one, to no surprise, I have Jack Sparrow. Obviously. You have heard of me. <laughs> well, you have heard of me, and. It's not so much that what you'd expect a pirate to look like, because when I was a kid and I imagined pirates, I imagined like Blackbeard and just like dirty, grimy, big hulking guys with huge beards and just like a peg leg, you know, stuff like that. But that <laughs> peg leg, uh, you've been watching too much SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> well, the peg leg is famous for pirates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a famous thing. Yeah. No, I know, yeah. And yar, yar. <laughs> but then you see Johnny. He's got like the beads. He's got he's got the uh, the hair, and then. Like his his chin beard is is beaded down and the gold teeth and all like you said the tattoos the bandanas are great the bandanas really help sell it but then the the wardrobe is really just fantastic he's got the vest and the baggy shirt the boots like everything about it and I, I love the character design of that and I think the first time you see in eyeliner the eyeliner is actually very important to the Jack Sparrow look so hot so hot right now. <laughs> And I think everybody, when they saw Jack Sparrow for the first time, and he has an amazing introduction in the first film when the he's boat's when the sinking. boat's sinking, <laughs> <laughs> the great music. What a great, what a great character introduction! It's got to be all timer. It's just a great movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, Gore Verbinski is an extremely kind of unspoken of director. I watched The Ring recently on a plane. The Ring's it's great. Still terrific. It's great. It's a little corny and campy here and there, but it works so it well. It really does. And so he made The Ring. And then he made the Pirates movies. Uh, he also did Rango. He did uh, Cure for Wellness. He's a very, very good director. Extremely underrated, I think. But he obviously worked really well at Johnny Depp. And the first three Pirates movies are some of the best action-adventure movies of the century, without a doubt. And all three of them are very good. 
And the first one is just absolutely fantastic and a very much a perfect film. They're actually pretty comparable to the Indiana, the Jones. Indiana Jones trilogy yeah. in terms of like how audiences like them and in terms of their filmmaking qualities too. Obviously, the first one of each you could argue is the best, but the third one of each is also very good. Yeah. I mean, uh, Last Crusade is such a great movie. It's hard to pick sometimes Raiders over that movie, in my opinion, because it kind of depends on the mood, which one you like better. And plus... I mean, same thing with the the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Yeah, I love the first one, but second one's excellent. The third one, I love. Yeah, it's. I mean, in the second one, you get Davy Jones and everything. It's so cool. And then at World's End, it's just so epic. So it really, so is. massive in scale, and they did a terrific job concluding like that before they kept making them. If you guys haven't listened to or watched our episode on the first three Pirates movies, I highly recommend checking it out. We did like a year ago. It's such a blast. We love those movies so much, and we yeah. went in-depth on them. Oh, yeah. You want to go into our intermission and then do the rest of our lists and then keep uh, chatting about Johnny? I guess we could do that. Yeah, let's, let's do let's, it. Let's do let's it. Let's do it. Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. You get access to different tiers of patronage, $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tiers. Each one has awesome perks to them, so go to patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Support the show the best way possible possible by becoming a patron of the show today. Thanks so much. And our live show is happening very soon, Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Obviously, that's the year it is right now because it's a new year. You can get live tickets to come in person in Los Angeles, as well as digital live stream experience tickets to broadcast the show as it's happening live from anywhere around the world. The live in-person tickets are at dynastytypewriter.com. Just go on the calendar, you find us there on January 21st. And the digital experience live broadcast tickets are at moment.co slash Raiders of the Lost. You can also get links, find these links in the bio of this episode on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, as well as the Instagram bio, Twitter bio of our show. We'll have access to the link for all those tickets. We hope to see you there, and we hope to have you streaming in live to our show. It's going to be a lot of fun. This episode is sponsored by our friends at MoviePosters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Head over to MoviePosters.com. They have a gigantic selection of all sorts of movies and TV shows in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes and framing for your poster needs. If you want a gift for a movie fan or to decorate your home with a bunch of movie posters, the number one place to do that is at MoviePosters.com. And don't forget to use our promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order. Again, that's RAIDERS10 to get 10% off at MoviePosters.com. And thank you so much to Black Magic Design for providing two of their cinema pocket cameras, the G26Ks. These cameras are so terrific. We actually used them to get some pickup shots on our short films. We didn't have to rent a cinema camera. They are terrific quality. Again, the Pocket Cinema G2 6K cameras, if you're an independent filmmaker or videographer and you want to get that cinema quality, these do really make a huge difference versus like a DSLR or something like that. And it's really cool because these cameras have EF mounts. So if you're familiar with lenses and in, in, in photography, they are compatible with Canon lenses as well as a bunch of other photography lenses in addition to terrific cinema lenses. Thanks so much again to Blackmagic Design. And Anthony bumping into the microphone. Sorry. Goodness, I'm trying to run ads over here. Hey, it's okay. Now Blackmagic is going to take the cameras back. I'd like to see them try. All right, let's move into our intermission. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> 
Let's see what we got here. Movie quote time. For the record, Mets wasn't out of tune. You were, Erickson, but he didn't know, and that's bad enough. <laughs> Whiplash. That's correct. How about you give people a moment? I did. I gave two moments. <laughs> I actually just watched the short uh, last week. It's good. It's basically the first time I went to the movie. It's cool that uh, J.K. Simmons was also in that. Yeah, uh, I don't know how he got into contact with him to get in that, but I believe it might have been Sundance Labs yeah. is how he did that. All right, here's my quote. So what we're talking about is J.K. Simmons acting the short film yeah. that uh, Damien Chazelle made yeah. of Whiplash, and which was actually made it a really good short because mm -hmm. he's terrific in it. All right, here's my quote. There's a saying, a very old saying, when the pupil is ready, the master will appear. When the pupil is ready, the master will appear. Can you say that one more time? There is a saying, a very old saying, when the pupil is ready, the master will appear. Oh, I, I've watched this this year. What is it? I mean, last year. Is it, is it uh, The Mask of Zorro? Yeah, yeah. good job. <laughs> Thanks, man. High five. Is that Anthony? Yeah, that's a tough <laughs> one. I watched it like four months ago. Isn't so it's it so still good? Kind of, it's, dude, it's, it's awesome. It's so good. It's really good. It's amazing. It's like a perfect, it's a perfect action movie. Such a fun adventure movie, and, man. And Anthony Hopkins and Antonio Banderas together. It's Anthony's, just, it's amazing. It's so good. Anthony Hopkins is awesome in it. And yeah. he's so damn good in it. Yeah. I love <laughs> it. I watched it a few months ago and I was like, this movie still fucking rocks. Yeah. <laughs> After you watched it, I was like, yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to watch The Mask of Zorro. It's that. really funny I haven't too. haven't seen it in so long. Great action. Great really funny. Great physical comedy. Antonio is, dude, he's yeah. a legend in that movie. He's so good in that. He's so I cool. I hope they make a new one. They should, and, it's, and Antonio can be the new master of the new Zorro. Just make him Zorro. Just, still. Yeah, I would, I would prefer if he was still Zorro. You know that's not gonna happen though. <laughs> <laughs> but man, so the director of Casino Royale made that. Oh no way! Yeah, no. Martin Campbell. Cool. It's such a fun movie. It is. Good job on that. Thanks. It's great production design too. The sets on that movie are stellar. Yeah, Martin Campbell's a great director. Great sword fighting as well. It's legit. I, I was blown away when I was watching because I, I watched it. it holds I, up. I, I want to say in the in the early winter of 2022. And the score, the score is great, but the sword fighting is awesome. It looks legit. It's awesome. Yeah, it's not like people just like hitting swords just to it hit swords. It is legit. It looks yeah. like some people got hurt on set. Oh, for sure. <laughs> great stunt work. Great stunt work. But Antonio, he's he was a superhero before superheroes were huge. Yes, sir. All right, guess this movie release year. Serpico for the mayor. <laughs> 1981. 1973. Oh my god, that was so off. He snuck that in, but he's he snuck that in between. Wait, making who? 72. Pacino. Pacino in 72. He's, he's a Godfather. Godfather. Yeah, he snuck, part two. So he snuck that in. Yeah, part two. Or three. No, part one's 72. Part one's 70, I thought it was 71. I'm pretty sure Godfather's 72. No, is it? Hold on, let me double check. I thought part two was at 72. Yeah, and Godfather's 72. Oh, so that's what I was saying. And part snu two is 74. Yeah, so I was saying he snuck it in between them. Just oh, I got what you're saying. Just like uh, Coppola <laughs> snuck in the conversation. Great, sick reference to Sick uh, reference, bro. The, the gentleman. The gentleman. Hugh, Hugh Grant. <laughs> no, not the gentleman. The gentleman, yeah. Yeah, the gentleman. <laughs> Dude, I love that movie. Clearly. Hugh, hey, you know what? I've only seen it twice. And Hugh Grant is great. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess some smooth release here. The Elephant Man. Speaking of Juliet Pinoche. <laughs> oh, no, that's in the English patient. I don't know what I'm thinking of. The Elephant Man. <laughs> 1989? 80. 80. Damn, it's pretty old. It is. Yeah. Pretty old. One of David Lynch's early movies, actually. Yeah. Moving on to Movie Pop Quiz. Now, let everyone guess, okay, Anthony? Okay. What was Sidney Lumet's 
first feature-length film. <laughs> Fuck. Um, was it Serpico? <laughs> I'm wondering. No, I think he was. He was no, he was because he made Twelve Angry Men. He was making movies well before Serpico. Um, I'm going Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, that's correct. Best debut ever, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> that's insane. <laughs> Good question. That's every year. Like people always talk about like directors' debuts, and they never look back on the past. Like, like most people aren't really watching. Twelve old Angry Men yeah. was his first movie. Yeah, it's one of the best movies ever. Citizen made. Kane was yeah. a debut. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah. wild. Yes, yeah, Twelve Angry Men. I watched it again. It's a top I watched, ten movie. Yeah, I watched all it. Time. I watched it last year. It really is unbelievable. It's really I, I incredible. I can't believe the camera movements he did in that movie yeah. in 1957. It blows yeah. my mind whenever I watch the movie. I'm like, how the hell did he do this in 1957? That's, that's honestly more impressive than Reservoir Dogs as a debut, honestly. I love Reservoir Dogs as a debut, but, 12 but Angry, it's not the best all time. 12 Angry Men. What's, well, Sidney Lumet made a lot of great movies, uh, but you could argue his first movie was his best one. Same thing with Orson Welles, and that's a rare thing. Uh, to really, it's like a band, like a great band. You can still say that. I mean, speaking of Damon Giselle, you could still say Whiplash is his best movie. I I do say Whiplash is his best movie. I love First Man. I love Land's Great. Whiplash, is Whiplash best might movie. still be his best movie. Yeah, I agree. And after seeing Babylon, I still I think Babylon's number four in his filmography right now. I agree. I agree. But Whiplash is just a tremendous debut. That is yeah, otherworldly. Great question though. Thanks, man. Cindy Lumet is one a of the, legend. One of the greatest American directors of all Go time. Go through his filmography, yeah. everybody. It's yeah. so effing good. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> It's great. So he made that. I think he was 28 when he made oh 12 Angry Men. I think he was in his 20s. I feel like a piece of it shit makes now. You look back and like, <laughs> what have you God. been doing? What have you been doing? <laughs> to me and Anthony. Oh, you. my God. Oh, man. We're making moves, I though. We're making I didn't moves. need to hear that. <laughs> so, yeah, we're only 33 this year. <laughs> March. 33. Oh, my God. And then his La- last Larry he, Legend 33. And baby. he went out high. His last movie was before Devil Knows You're Dead. That's such a good movie. Yeah, that's great. Ethan Hawke, Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm-hmm. Marissa Tomei. If no one's ever seen Before the, ne- the Devil Knows You're Dead, watch that ASAP. What year was 12 Angry Men? 1957. Oh, yeah. He was yeah, he made yeah, he was making movies for yeah. Serbico was well into his filmography. Well into it, yeah. Well, well into it. <laughs> okay, here's my quiz question. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins battles a bear in what movie? <laughs> what? <laughs> Anthony, Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins versus a bear? Yeah. Come on, you know this. Do I? You know this. It sounds. He fights a bear in what movie? He fights a bear. Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> it sounds so silly. Because all I can think of is Cocaine Bear in the trailer we just no, watched. No, it's, it's a drama. This is a drama. Anthony Hopkins fights a bear. Fights a bear. It's a survival drama. If that helps. Not really. Um. <laughs> He wasn't in the Revenant, was he? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, am I gonna? I'm gonna be pissed if I want to yeah, get it wrong. I think so because we watched it quite a bit when we were younger. It was like all on, time it, was on TV. it was like on Spike TV a lot or something. Anthony Hopkins versus a bear. It just yeah. sounds. It's a funny sentence. It sounds to say. funny. That's why I chose this. I, I figured it would throw you off. <laughs> what effing movie is this? I don't think you got it. You should just let me hold tell on. You. Hold, let, let me let me think. It's already been like two minutes. It's a podcast, bro. <laughs> you got somewhere to be. No one wants to listen to you think for thirty minutes. Everyone, people are listening to us because they love us. Okay, man. <laughs> they're true. they're great people, and they're in the car, they're in traffic, and they're like, "I'll let Jim take as long as he wants. <laughs> I ain't got nowhere to be, Anthony. Why are you trying to rush me off the podcast, All Anthony? Right, quit stalling. Think about. Uh, it. I don't know. <laughs> See, do we? The Edge. Oh yeah, with Alec Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. I remember it now. Yeah. 
that he was plays a, a he plays a intellectual genius and yeah. he helps uh, outsmart the bear. The bear. The bear. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you weren't get it. All right, now are we on to our haters, haters. Of the week and subscribes? We got some good ones. We have some Twitter unsubscribes too, but go for yours oh, first. Okay, I'm curious to hear those. All right, so <clears throat> Nathan Goffnet five six nine three wrote. How dare you not mention Halloween ends in the terrible movie segment? I Unsubscribe. Can't we forgot it. Well, we, the thing is, we didn't watch it. True. So we, I, I didn't even want to watch it. Have to like we saw Halloween Kills. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. So we didn't watch it. I didn't want to watch it because I hated the last one, and I just felt like this was just a, just a cash grab and it looked looked, looked terrible. So we were like, I'm not even gonna waste my time watching it. So that's why Nathan. But appreciate your comment. But also, we didn't really go into that with a list of the worst movies. We were just kind of riffing. You played it by ear, yeah. And then MK6 Alex wrote, How dare you? How dare I? <laughs> it's actually from Spider-Man, Amazing I mean, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 1. 1. Not to unsubscribe. Uh, when I said that in the episode, I was like, someone's going to call me out. It's the first one, isn't it? That's when he's fighting without me? Yeah. Yeah, I got you. How dare you? How dare How I? I? How dare you? <laughs> Kept to the B wrote, this episode was hilarious. Also, also, Ethan Hawke is not in Doctor Strange. Unsubscribed. Did we say that? I can't remember. Ethan Hawke in Doctor in Strange? Doctor... Uh, oh, I meant... No, I meant the director, Scott Derrickson, made Doctor... He did a good job with Doctor Wait, Strange. Oh, yeah, I said, no, I was saying... No, I'm kidding. I was saying Doc. I was, I was saying Scott. It's Maybe okay. I did say it wrong. All right, this is a good one. Royal Wren wrote... Didn't even mention the pivotal, if not groundbreaking, scene where Benoit Blanc plays Among Us. Unsubscribed. I thought we did bring it up. Well, then an, an official Nile wrote, they mentioned it at 47 minutes, 50 seconds. Unsubscribe. <laughs> resubscribe. <laughs> and then MK Alex, who also who also did the Among Us comment, wrote, how dare you? Uh, no, he, they wrote, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Hold on. I got it right here. <laughs> sorry. I, these are all screenshots. All right. <laughs> so someone said that we didn't say Among Us. And then someone said they said it at 47 minutes. And then the original commenter replied with what? And then, and then, so Royal Ren wrote in another, in our next episode, didn't even mention my Among Us comment in this episode. <laughs> Unsubscribe. And then I, I clarified that we recorded it like a week before that episode posted. So then they're like, oh, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have, this is a funny one, Harrison Kent 5. I noticed that the Knives Out episode sounds fine when I have both headphones in, but wonky when I only have one in. Maybe the issue has to do with mono versus stereo listening. Anyways, unsubscribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like the casual nonchalant unsubscribe there because it was lowercase too. And then Braden Bish wrote, I can't believe I only heard one knocked it out of the park during the whole baseball episode. Unsubscribe. <laughs> we missed, We dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> That's it. I have, um, All right, let's I have the Twitter. Twitter unsubscribe. So, so James Chan was the Twitter. Yeah. I've been going hard on the paint and Twitter the last week and a half. <laughs> and it's been doing really Hitting well. the board. We were like chilling at like 1300. I would tweet like maybe once a day because I get sick of Twitter, but I've just been going hard on like five posts, five, four to five tweets a day. Yeah. Got up to like 1500 followers, getting like 20 to 50 a day. Nice dude. Nice. Yeah, I, see engagement. I just looked at some of them today. Getting a lot they of look- engagement because now on tweets, you can see how many views your tweet got because so many people look at tweets, but they don't engage like comment yeah, or yeah, retweet. It's a fraction of people. So, but you see like some of your tweets will get like six seven thousand views and obviously it's just increasing engagement to the show so it's stupid to yeah. not keep posting but now i've been posting a lot i'm on there a lot so hit us up on twitter it's at raiders lost pod is our twitter handle but also if you just search raiders of the lost podcast you'll find us mm-hmm. um this is from jordan jr 
Fluffy Master X <laughs> Fluffy Master. <laughs> he wrote, just listened to the Glass Onion review, and I can't believe there are no new unsubscribes. Unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Great. That's a good one. one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now <laughs> well, let me see if we have any new five star reviews on iTunes after Please podcast. Do. Please do. That'd be great. And in reference to the, the funniest episode we've done, is that the best and worst horror of 2022 that you were talking about? Yes. That was a really funny episode funny. we did on Monday. It was very last funny. Week. It was around Thursday, I think. Yeah. It, was, it was a hoot. It was quite, it was a laugh riot. <laughs> All right. Do we have, and yep, we got a new one. Awesome. This is from Jay Craig. Do you love movies? Start listening. <laughs> James and Anthony do a phenomenal job of reviewing each and every movie TV show that they talk about on their podcast. Origin stories, franchises, <laughs> dramas, they review them all. I found Raiders <laughs> in the summer of 2020, and I love listening to them when I mow the lawn and when I'm driving. <laughs> One movie that I absolutely love that they recommended is The Departed. I will never unsubscribe from these guys and thankful that I can support them on Patreon. Oh, thanks so much, pal. You wicked pisser guy. <laughs> I'm so glad that you know, when you're mowing the lawn, you're listening to us. Yeah, that's nice. I appreciate yeah. the origin stories. How's the lawn coming? I hope it's going well. Yeah. <laughs> I love a guy that takes care of a lawn, man. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It could, like, I mowed the lawn at mom's house the last time I went home. It took a while. It took a long she time. She got a big lawn. Yeah. It's, and she, she's backyard, backyard and a front yeah. yard. And, like, the side yard. It was. It was. It took me, like, two hours. I was wiped. <laughs> I was dead. I was, like, exhausted. I was, like, why don't you just hire someone? <laughs> <laughs> so she got sons for Because then you got to rake it. She got six sons. At least you can mow our goddamn lawn. It's true. It's true. I would if I was home. But we spoil mom. Yeah. We love her. Jay Nice, she's coming to the live show. If anyone's coming she's to the live coming. show, she'll be there in person. Jay Nice, Devin. The one and only. She'll be there. You can say hi. You can take a photo with her if you want. <laughs> she'll probably get more photos than us. <laughs> I'm like, mom, people are going to be happy that you're there. You're kind of a celebrity on the show. <laughs> All right. Moving on to On This Day in Film History. Today is January 9th in 1894. William K.L. Dixon's motion picture, Edison, kinetoscopic record of a sneeze, record of a sneeze, a.k.a. Fred Otto's sneeze, receives first U.S. copyright for the format. It was filmed a few days earlier at Edison Studio, West Orange, New Jersey. In 1959, Rawhide with Clint Eastwood premieres on CBS TV. In 1964, Goldfinger is released. In 2000, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. Malcolm in the Middle premieres in 2000. You really went into that. <laughs> Your face. In 2009, you're like, finger. Hey, I'm a performer, man. <laughs> In 2009, Grand Torino is released, and in 2011, Shameless and Bob's Burgers premiere. Get off my lawn. (laughs) Happy birthday to J.K. Simmons. Oh, wow. And my streaming recommendation is going to be Rosetta on HBO Max. This is a film from the Darden brothers, the Belgium filmmakers, who are terrific, make some of the best stories you'll see on film. Highly recommend getting into the filmography. Anthony got me into them back in Anthony's basement movie, <laughs> movie dungeon days and we were about 18, 19 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hadn't seen Rosetta in a long time, but I saw that it was on HBO Max and I was interested in watching a Darden Brothers movie after we did our Safdie Brothers movies who are hugely influenced by the Darden Brothers. They're terrific filmmakers from Belgium. Great grounded stories, character studies about you know low class citizens, uh, everyday citizens, just normal people, just making interesting and relatable stories, real life about conflicts. struggle. Yeah, great stories. But if you're if just to like increase your film palette, you know, 
get into international film, get into European films, not UK, outside of the UK, get into European films, as well as obviously South Korea, Chinese, China, Egypt, Japan, everything. But, you know, there's a, a rich history in Belgium of, of film in France, obviously. But I think the Darb Den brothers are a great way to expose yourself to films outside of Hollywood and it will blow your mind some of the movies you'll see they yeah. will floor you yeah you should if you love films and you want to learn more about filmmaking like they are some of the best working right now and they really have incredible long takes that are just mind blowing sometimes shocking realism yeah. is like one of the best yeah. ways to describe their yeah, style yeah they they started in documentaries and then they brought that aspect of in style filmmaking into their storytelling and it's really profound work that they've done all of their movies. So yeah, Rosetta is on HBO Max. Follows, My, yeah. follows a young woman who will do anything to pay her rent and keep a job. Yeah. My streaming recommendation is also a international film from one of my personal favorite directors, Michael Haneke. This film is called Benny's Video. It is a dark family drama and is incredible. So intense and never seen anything like it before. Like all of Michael Haneke's films, my personal favorite is The Piano Teacher. But then Amour is probably like his masterpiece. He's made a lot of really remarkable films. Cash is another great one. The White Ribbon. Um, I, the White Ribbon might be my favorite. I, it's hard to pick a favorite. Not to mention the best home invasion movie. Yeah, Funny Games. Obviously, yeah, Funny, Games, Funny Games, which he made uh, in his home country. But yeah. then he made the American Hollywood remake yeah. starring Naomi Watts yeah. and um, what's his name uh, from Reservoir Dogs? Tim Roth. Tim Roth. He's also multi-language, so multilingual. So he'll some of his films are Austrian, some of his films are French, and he works with Julia Pinoche a lot as well. Interesting, like a double. So many coincidences. So many Julia Pinoche references in this. But Michael Haneke, if you don't know him or his films, just like the Dardens, I highly recommend you check him out. All right, on the Criterion Channel. Yes, Criterion Channel. Criterion Channel is lit. It's only ten ninety nine a month. It's way better than any other streaming app. Absolutely. But yeah, check out Michael Haneke's films and the Darden Brothers films. That's your homework, everybody. Get we should on start it. giving homework assignments. We should. We should. I think our recs usually people take them and, and watch them. I hope so. We should we should give more homework recommendations. Because we we want you all to expand your palettes because we're always expanding our palettes and watching films outside of Hollywood, which is really important because it makes you get a better understanding on I film. really want everyone to listen to our show to get the Criterion channel. Honestly. And I, I know it's like Oh, uh, subtitles, and there's that, you know, it's that running joke. But also, like, the films made internationally, especially in the 90s and 80s, they really are remarkable. And, and Hollywood is kind of, like, independent Hollywood is kind of catching up. And it's, it's interesting because you'll we'll get these great independent films that come out in America and the UK and, and in Hollywood. In recent years, there have been a lot of really terrific ones. And people are like, I've never seen anything like this. This is really great. And we're like, we've been watching movies like this all yeah, for I mean, the last... Yeah. They've been making these in France for 30 years. Yeah. And so, like, that's why we wish people would expose themselves to films outside of the Hollywood system and outside of the UK, outside yeah. of America, even outside of Australia. Outside of the English language. Yeah. Just outside. Just go yeah. to other countries because they've been making movies that you're falling in love with the last few years, the style of filmmaking, the character development, and, and just the writing and the tones of these movies that you are maybe weren't exposed to in your youth. They've been making these kinds of movies for decades yeah. in France. Yeah. Europe has always had great artistry with filmmaking ever since the 60s. And it's just still it's still there. It's less. It's not controlled by corporate culture like exactly. it is here. Yeah. That's the one of the main reasons. Exactly. Hundred percent. There are no 
overlords. <laughs> no monolith corporations. You, could you change that script a little bit to this one that I'm holding in my hand? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's get back into Johnny Depp. Johnny. You, you want to do another list? Let's do uh, his most, what are your top five underrated Johnny Depp movies? Underrated movies. You got it. Top five. Number one, I'm going The Ninth Gate. I talked about it earlier. It's a Polanski movie. Love the angels and demons aspect, heaven and hell. Are they real? Do they exist? Is there supernatural walking among us? It's such a fun movie. I love mysteries. It's kind of noir at the same time, but contemporary at the time. I, I think he's terrific in this movie. Great supporting performances. Creepy as Frank hell. Frank Langella. Yeah, Frank Langella, you're right. It's dark as hell. Really dark opening to this movie. But I think people would really enjoy The Ninth Gate if they gave it a shot, if you've never seen it before. Yeah, it's great. got a fucking it's trippy crazy. ending. Crazy ending. It's, crazy. <laughs> it's, it's out of hell, man. It's out of hell. Uh, number two on my top five in the movies, I have Sleepy Hollow. I love everything about this movie. Sometimes the script isn't too great, but I think what Johnny brought to the character of Ichabod, Ichabod Crane yeah. is something that was really needed for it because no one had ever done a Sleepy Hollow feature-length film up to until that point, I believe, and it's a really interesting story. It's a famous story. gothic story. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting, and it just suits the, the world of Tim Burton and Johnny Depp so well working together. Christina Ritchie, Christopher Walken is great as this, in this movie. Is, ah! I, I won't tell you who he is in case ah! you don't know. <laughs> that like that's just one line. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> He's got one line. He just screams. <laughs> but I love the production design. I love Johnny Depp in this movie. And it rem and I brought this up before that I I guarantee Guy Ritchie. <laughs> ah! Sorry, sorry. I guarantee Guy, Guy Ritchie when he made the Sherlock Holmes movies, especially the first one. Yes, he yeah, took inspiration yeah. from Sleepy Hollow, the production design, the coloring, the wardrobe, the little gadgets that Ichabod Crane has. They're very similar to like the style that even he the made. hair. Yeah, it's very similar to Sherlock. Yeah, in Sherlock Holmes, the first one that came out in what two thousand nine. And I, I, wow. I think it's such a fun movie. 2009. So oh cool. <laughs> Number three. It's almost 15 years old. Woo. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I have number three on my list. It is a trip of a movie. It's so unique. It's rare to get movies like this, but still, they're pretty successful. I mean, Johnny, all of his movies, even outside of the franchise, make a profit. They make good money. Yeah. I mean, even movies like Donnie Brasco made 85, Below made 83, 87. His movie still makes well, money. Is, this is when studios were happy with making under a hundred million dollars. You know what I mean? Now they have to make a, a five hundred million. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Is like those are studio movies, but like they're like, oh, eighty million dollars is a good profit. Nice job. But now it's like we need to make six hundred million. But I think the performances from Johnny as well as Benicio del Toro as a supporting actor in this film just make this such a, a fun ride, an absolute trip. It's fun to watch if you're just like uh, a little a little tipsy or a little feeling a little warm. It's just on just, what? On life. Okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those movies it's it's better to watch when you're you're like a little buggy. Oh yeah, buggy. But it's it's it's, it's a wild movie. Number four on underrated movies for Johnny Depp's career. I have Ed Wood, another Tim Burton, Johnny Depp character piece, based on a real director, like one of the worst directors of all time. The but Tommy Wiseau yeah. of the 40s. <laughs> it's really funny. His character, he goes all in on it. Great voice, great, great physical acting as Ed Wood, this real-life person, brought to film this fictional movie. And I think it's just a great, great underrated awesome movie. Awesome cinematography, No too. one really talks about it. Nobody does. And then I'm only saying that this is underrated because of all the movies that people talk about instead of it. I'm going to say uh, Blow. Mm-hmm. 
I think Blow is an excellent movie when it comes to crime movies, specifically drug movies, drug um what's it called smuggling movies there are actually quite a few especially in this er in this era like drug movies were big in the 90s and 80s it's because of goodfellas yeah i think blow is super cool he plays a real life person george young in this and i, I think it's they excellent. work for the Medellin cartel yeah i think it's excellent and i like the character design Salma hayek opposite i mean i'm, I'm <laughs> oh penelope cruz canceled <laughs> see you later penelope cruz. <laughs> he's out <laughs> he's out folks i was thinking of Salma hayek. all right this is now the raider of the lost podcast Welcome i saw them i saw the magic mike trailer and i can't stop thinking about Salma hayek Salma hayek looks great one of my all-time crushes for yeah. sure and she looks amazing i've been well, thinking penelope looks me i've been thinking about her ever since uh, who, who has better hair, Johnny Depp or Penelope Cruz? Johnny's <laughs> hair is great. It's it's pretty good. His hair goals, but I think it's a good top five. Yeah, but I I think honorable mention is shock a lot as well. Even though it's a box office success, people don't really talk about that movie ever. Well, speaking of shock a lot, <laughs> so my top five underrated movies are. <clears throat> I also have the Ninth Gate, but it's at my number five. N Ninth Gate is terrific, amazing mystery, suspense, thrills. I love a good investigative film. And when they're done well, it's like I just watched Chinatown the other day. Just like sometimes it's just like what the doctor ordered. You know, a great investigative drama. Well, Miss Mulraney. <laughs> <laughs> then I have at number four, Sleepy Hollow. For all the reasons you said, I really enjoy it. I always watch it in the Halloween season. I think it's really a definitive Halloween movie. I love the cinematography and the score. Productions. I just love Victorian era stuff. And Johnny Depp brought a lot of comedic humor and physical comedy to Ichabod Crane. Yeah, he's actually really he's he's like so, a, he's very he's a funny. doofus at the same time yeah, as being like kind a great of detective. Yeah. yeah. I love it. It's a funny performance. And then I number three, I have Public Enemies, Michael Mann's film. I think it's a great cops and robbers movie. And gotten very little attention. It did okay, modestly well at the box office. But I mean, you have Johnny Depp and Christian Bale leading a movie. It's like, come on. It's so well made yeah, too. It, yeah. Well, yeah, it's Michael Mann. And for crime epics, it's pretty great, man. Yeah. It's up there. Yeah. Marion Cotillard is really fantastic in it as well. But I really liked it. I, I think it's in the the shootout, the epic shootout at the end is insane. And then at number two, I have From Hell, which is the Jack the Ripper investigative Victorian era thriller. And it's another just a super underrated. It's not perfect, but I love it. It's terrific. Um, the actor who plays Hagrid, what's his name? Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Robbie Coltrane. He's in it as well. And Johnny Depp's just terrific as the detective on the case. I love. I. I mean, it's like it's. it's uh, we're so used to serial killer movies, but this is from two hundred years ago, which is very cool lens to to look at it through. You know what I mean? And then number one, I have Chocolate. I think Shock a Lot is so great. It's I, I am a sucker for a good romance. And the music, the setting, Juliet and Johnny are just like, what a good looking pair. It's the like, close-ups. Yeah, oh my God. <laughs> and then the chocolate. The chocolate. <laughs> I remember our mom really liked it. It was, it was big she with had the ladies. It on, she had it, it on a lot. It was a big lot. movie with the ladies. And I remember watching it with her a few times and just like really like, well, this is a really good movie. <laughs> like ten year old me. He's like, it's really hot. <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty steamy in here. They just have sex on that boat. <laughs> Whoa. I'm like, they eating chocolate. But it's super romantic. I think it's and it's really great. I, I really like the chocolate like chocolate. So it's that's my number one most underrated Johnny Depp movie. <laughs> 
All right, let's get into another list. Which one do you want to go? Ten-year-old oh, yeah. Anthony is awoken by chocolate. <laughs> let's do uh, worst five worst movies. Okay, it's five worst movies. Johnny Depp's five worst movies. He's made some stickers. His worst movie, in my opinion, is The Astronaut's Wife. This is a movie that he stars opposite Charlize Theron. It does not deserve a watch. I'm sorry. You know what's funny is they have like the same exact hair in that movie. Yeah. Short he, blonde hair. He actually, he looks like Jude Law and Gattaca in that movie. He does. Yeah. He looks, because he dyed his hair blonde and he has like Jude Law's hairstyle. From that movie. I'm guessing Charlize did it did it after The Devil's Advocate, mm-hmm. which is why she has the, she the short hair. Yeah, the yeah. short hair. But like their their hair's too similar in that movie. Like <laughs> it's they're just, a married couple and they have the same hair. It's just not a good movie, everybody. Next right. up, I have Mordecai. Which <laughs> it's bad. It's a movie. It's a movie. It's a movie. Next up for number three, I have Dark Shadows, which is also a movie that him and Tim Burton <laughs> made. Fourth, we have Transcendence, which was Wally Fister's first foray into directing feature length films after being a cinematographer working with Christopher Nolan for so many years. Transcendence was not it. It was not transcendence. It's, it's it's a movie. It was not transcendent, like Anthony said. <laughs> and then Alice in Wonderland 2, Through the Looking Glass. I did not love that movie. I don't I, think I'm anyone putting did. it on my five worst Johnny Depp movies. All right, here's my list. Seemed like a cash grab. Mine's not far off from yours. Okay. It's actually I think all the same ones almost. So number five, I have Alice in Wonderland 2, Through the Looking Glass. I couldn't make it through the film. I ended up turning it off. It was just it was just bad. And then The Tourist at number four. Oh, yeah, The Tourist. The Tourist is uh, supposed to be a comedy, but there is no comedy that exists in that I can't movie. bring myself to finishing it. I it's, still have never finished it. It's so uninteresting, and you, you know Angie and him were just like, hey, yeah, get us the $20 million paycheck. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Film in Europe? Okay, whatever. Fine. Whatever. Europe. It's, beautiful sets. Oh, my God. It's just bad. And then at number three, I have Transcendence, which... Like James said, Wally Fister's debut, it's really bad. This it's real. It's the story that's bad, and it gets more ridiculous. The as, script is just it gets so ridiculous, and then all, like all of a sudden, nanotechnology is just all over the place, and it's per, it's just unwatchable. Honestly, when they're slowly climbing up that ladder. Oh I'm just yeah, like, the guy jumps. Yeah, happening yeah. Right I was now. like, oh my god, the direct. It's the he's not. I don't think he ha- he doesn't have it as a director of films. I'm not. I don't know if he doesn't have it. It's just that I think he started too big and too broad yeah, in, in a complex maybe. story for your first film. But still, he- like a shot like that, it was like we. I remember the theaters. We laughed. I, we, we were laughing at this movie in the theaters. I just, remember. It just wasn't it, man. It's just I think he should have started smaller because I'm sure he's a talented director. I'm sure he's got it. I mean, he's been on sets for so many. Well, so he's much. been directing commercials since. I'm sure he, he he's do it. he's probably like one of the top commercial directors he right now. Just done something smaller. Well, I think the commercials pay really well. No, no, I mean, yeah. I mean, instead of transcendence. But oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. when you're working, when when you're Chris Nolan's DP for 15, 20 years, you probably want to do something big in scope and scale like him as well. And yeah, sexy. yeah, yeah. And Chris was a producer sexy. on it. Sexy, sci-fi, big. Nothing big sexy about sci-fi. Giant Depp being shaved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Anthony was not awoken by that like he was no, with no, Shock a no, lot. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now at number two, I have Dark Shadows. One of the more recent Tim Burton collaborations. It did not work. The comedy was just weird. The story was, it just didn't work at all. And Ava Green's character, like being obsessed with him, it was just, it, it never played. And the story was just not there. And then at number one, I have Mordecai for the worst Giant Depp movie. Uh, like I said earlier, I couldn't finish it. I did watch some of it, and it is disastrously bad. Not funny, uh, absurd. 
I'm sure everyone involved got paid pretty well, but it is basically unwatchable. And I would say the worst thing he's ever done. And you know what's wild about Johnny Depp? He's so talented. He's such a star. Dark Shadows made $240 million at the global box office. Wow. Still makes still, still earns some money. Tim Burton and Johnny Depp put butts in seats. They sure do. All right, now, what are your top five Johnny Depp movies? Top five movies. All right, let me pull my list up. This is the big one. All right. For all the marbles. Should I go? I'll go five to one. Yeah, you keep going one to five. Go Sorry. five to one. Keep the suspense. mystery. Yeah, mystery. suspense. All right, number five. I'm going to go Donnie Brasco. And it's a great movie. Like I said, very underrated crime movie. Him and Al Pacino, amazing chemistry. And I just love watching those two actors together. Hold on, let me clear my throat for a second. You okay there? Yeah, I don't know what happened. Um, it's the wine. <laughs> it might be. I say, that every, Bras- I say that every episode. Don Brasco is awesome. Again, it's based on a true story. And he plays an undercover FBI agent infiltrating uh, a crime family. And it's kind of like one of those characters where is he becoming too attached to the people inside of it and it's a great story if you've never seen it i love mob movies i love fbi crime movies or undercover movies and man they're both tremendous in this movie as as co-leads basically. oh yeah oh yeah i'm the lead but al's awesome next at number four i have the ninth gate talked about it plenty we just ran ran ranted about it i love that movie it's tremendous number three edward scissorhands oh wait hold on i skipped one i'm sorry I have Blow next. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Blow is next. I like that movie a lot. You got a lot of crime ones on it. And then, I love crime movies. And then Edward Scissorhands. Mm-hmm. And then number one, I have Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Great picks. Easy Great picks. peasy lemon squeezy. It's a no-brainer to me. I also have Donnie Brasco at number five. Again, underrated crime movie. Really terrific in his filmography. Just flat out, just a really good film from start to finish. And then at number four, I have What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Terrific performances, a heart-wrenching story. Uh, Johnny Depp gives a more nuanced, restrained performance, but in a lot of ways, it is easily re- you could see and recognize it as one of his best, even though it is not as showy as his other performances. And such a young age, too. Yeah, I would say it's his most per- per- personal role, by far. And then at number three, I have Sweeney Todd, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, which I adore. I'm not a big musical person, but I really like this film. Sometimes... You know, if I find the right musical for me, I really like it. And this is one of those cinematography, the songs, the cast is terrific, uh, the production design, the costume of everyone. Helena Bonham Carter, opposite Johnny Depp, always is just lightning in a bottle. And Helena Bonham Carter is Tim Burns' meows. She was his meows. for Uncut Jobs. She was his meows when he wrote Sweet Hot. <laughs> 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 and the gore is sensational those meat pies look yeah. good though the deaths are great the kills are amazing then at number two i have edward scissorhands uh, for its magical quality its inventiveness its ingenuity its unique uh aspect of storytelling so much so much just so many great qualities about that film uh denny Hoffman score early for him and obviously johnny and winona are perfect together and then at number one i also have pirates of the caribbean the Curse of the Black Pearl. Curse of the Black Pearl. It's besides indie, it is the ultimate action adventure film. It is fun, large in scope, massive in its production, but still so well crafted, so well acted. 
extremely lovable, memorable characters, amazing score, and just flat out so much goddamn fun. And I love it. And Jack Sparrow really is what makes it all mesh and work. Now, Johnny also has some roles that I think don't work. There are some characters that I think didn't completely do it for me. I would say his interpretation, him and Tim Burton's interpretation of Willy Wonka for when they did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it didn't really work for me. And I think maybe, obviously you can't replicate what Gene Wilder did. I, I appreciate that he didn't try to do an impersonation of Gene Wilder's Willy Wonka because, I mean, that's that's like his best role in in life is Willy Wonka. and Gene Wilder, yeah, he's most remembered for that. Perfect yeah. in that role. And obviously Tim Burton and Johnny did something different with their version of Willy Wonka. I just, I didn't really love it that much, even though it was a very successful movie. It's just not really talked about critically. And I think there's a reason why it'll probably be forgotten. I actually agree with you. I'm not a fan of it. I think it's, I think it's cool. And I like it when I saw it a couple of times, but I, I, I'm, I don't really like regard it as a, a very good film. And I, I don't really have a desire to see it again. So I actually, rewatch I, value. I, I, I agree. What else? What else does he does he have that doesn't work for me? Let me let me run through. Do 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 do. Let me run through his filmography. Let's Go hear through. how much you hate Johnny Depp. Well, obviously the movies that like the top five worst movies. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like maybe I'm talking more just like big characters and big movies that All right, don't I necessarily think, yeah, work. That for me, that's the big one. That might be the only one. <laughs> okay, so there's actually I want to get into the Rum Diary. Didn't do it for me either. Okay. All right. All right. Johnny is a very, actually, a prolific musician. And he started out as a guitarist, and he was working odd jobs before he became a successful actor. And then I read where he's an interview where he was, like, acting to help pay for his life as a musician. <laughs> like, it was just pretty funny. Uh, and shows his, like, reluctance to, like, want to be, like, a famous actor. Maybe that's why he's so good at it. Yeah. But he's actually now played with a lot of very famous musicians. And also, he hasn't just played with them, but recorded in some of their songs. So he's recorded guitar in several Oasis songs. And he's uh, very good friends with the Gallaghers. In a lot of his films, he's actually helped play guitar in the soundtracks. And uh, more prolifically, in the films Shock A Lot and Once, the Time, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, he played a lot of guitar in the score for it. Also, in the 1990s, he was a member of a band called P. This is a musical group featuring uh, singer Gibby Haynes, Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist Flea, and Sex Pistols guitarist Steve Jones. And he also formed a Hollywood supergroup called Hollywood Vampires with Alice Cooper and Joe Perry. And he's friends with, like, Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr. Like, he plays with Ringo Starr all the time. And the Stones he'll play with, and obviously extremely close friends with Keith Richards. And it's just really cool that, like, he's been able to be successful both as an actor and as a musician. And one of my favorite parts about, I mean, we're, we're not, we said we weren't going to talk about the Amber Heard trial and just about Johnny, but one of my favorite parts about the trial, from what I heard, is that she complained that he just played music with a bunch of old guys. <laughs> it's like, it's Keith Richards. What are you talking it's, it's Keith Richards. Are you kidding me? It's Alice Cooper. Like, yeah, they're like the greatest rock stars of all time. It's Ringo Starr. <laughs> Come on. But it's just, it's very cool to see him just work so well in music as well. Just a very talented dude. Yeah. Now, what about your thoughts on the Lone Ranger? 
I think that's a movie that had so much potential. Yeah. And obviously they were hoping to. Gore Verbinski as well. They hoping yeah. to. Oh yeah, he directed that. They were hoping to make another Pirates franchise, obviously, and maybe something that's successful. It didn't really work for me. Um, I don't. Just I think that they could have made it a lot better. And I, I think Johnny's great, obviously. But that movie is another big. That's a big budget movie that I did not love. I would say that the Western genre does not work for huge scale action like they made it. Uh, huge set pieces. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. they lots of CGI in that movie. Yeah, because that movie had like over two hundred million dollar budget. It was the biggest year that the biggest movie produced that year. It has to be several hundred visual effect shots. Yeah. So for me, the uh, the western shouldn't have that much CGI, and it shouldn't have. It doesn't belong in ha in that kind of style of filmmaking. I understand that they, you know, they wanted to like reinvigorate re the western genre into modern audiences. I think we know nowadays modern audiences are not interested in westerns. Uh, maybe in a TV show format, but not in a film format. For big budget. For a larger budget. And also, a Western should not be a $200 million action-adventure. It, w I think it would have worked better if it was a much smaller-scaled film. That's but, what, Yeah, I like 310 to Yuma yeah. a lot. That's a movie that's practically made. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, there's two big set pieces in that film, like monstrous set pieces, and it's a lot of CGI. And it just doesn't feel right in the Western vibe, in the Western genre. I get it. I get that. Yeah, so, but, I mean, it... it they took a shot, you know. They can't can't blame them for taking a shot. Yeah, and trying taking swings get a yeah. miss sometimes. Yeah, especially with huge, huge budget movies. Mm -hmm. But I I love Gore Verbinski. That was the fifth collaboration I forgot to mention earlier between them. Mm -hmm. So other than Tim Burton, his number two director is Gore Verbinski. I mean, Rango's great. Yeah, Rango has one of my like favorite movie quotes of all time. Where um, what is it? Hold on, it's 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 where he like shows up to the crime scene. Hold on, let me let me pull up. Let me give me one sec. It's so funny. Well, I can say something about Rango while you look it up. Here, I got it right here. Okay, I got it right here. So I can't wait to hear it. It's gonna be. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> Shut up. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I thought you had it, it. Took me to IMDb. You said you had it. I had it, but then IMDb, and you know when IMDb you pull it up, you you can't. <laughs> you you say something about it. So what's interesting about Rango is they filmed it in a very non-traditional way where they actually did film the movie live action so Gore Verbinski just filmed all the actors in this big warehouse and they just filmed them with HD cameras but all the actors performed the scenes in character and they had just like their own put together wardrobes and they would build like it would be like it was just like an open room but then they would just like put a bar for like a bar or just like a couple of chairs and a table there it wasn't like they were making sets but just making things and furniture for the actors to interact with and then the actors they didn't wear a wardrobe, but they wore, like, things that would, like, you know, help with them. And then Johnny Depp just, like, wore, like, one of his normal outfits, but with a cowboy hat. And the actors actually acted and performed all the scenes. And the audio was picked up there. And the audio was picked up there with boom mics. And so the audio in that sounds more realistic rather than just studios. Like, an actor in a studio, like, right up to the microphone. Which for me, well, I hey, that's not what Ice Age sounds like. Right? <laughs> it's not like Ice Age sounds like this. Well, I think they do all sound like that. <laughs> no, they sound pretty good. But I think I like the, the production of, you know, actually booming the actor from, you know, the way a film would, a normal scene would be filmed in, in real life. And then they took the footage and used the movements of the actors to inspire the characters they animated. It wasn't mocap. Uh, nobody was wearing leotards with dots on them, but they used it as visual references and also to get the better performance from the actors. All right, this is my favorite quote from Rango. Let's hear it. This is when he goes into the bank after it's been robbed. 
All right, folks, stand back, clear the area. This is a crime scene now. Secure the perimeter, dust for prints, check for fibers, scan for DNA. I want urine sample from everyone and get me a latte. Don't mix up the two. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. It's funny because it's Rango walking into like yeah, yeah. a saloon. It's pretty funny. Bank, I mean, yeah. It's good. It's good. It's a funny movie. I was honestly hoping for a better quote, but <laughs> I think it's hilarious, man. You know what? <laughs> no, it was good. It's good. You make me good. feel bad now. Don't feel bad. You make me feel like a loser, man. You're not, I didn't say that. Yeah, you did. You said, Jim, you're such you're getting, a loser. You are putting words in my <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that Johnny Depp will win an Oscar? No. Really? I don't think he'll ever win an Oscar, especially with the last three years of what's gone on in his personal life. You don't think it'll be a Brendan Fraser kind of resurgence? I think that Johnny would, was never going to ever win an Oscar despite putting Oscar-worthy performances. He's been nominated three times. I feel like he should have won by now, but I think there's something maybe about the, the Academy that don't love Johnny Depp because he's not like a typical Hollywood A-lister. He's not a typical well, so, movie star. So, so I think there's yeah. something about him with the Academy where, where they'll never vote for him to win an Oscar. I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, tell us, bro. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up with that sarcasm. <laughs> He he's not a promoter. He doesn't go on the press tours. He does the luncheons. The luncheons. The he doesn't do the, t- the, the schmoozing and the schmoozing. The it's it's a, it's like being a politician. You when you're up for an award, you go to the banquets. You go to the luncheons with the press or or what have you. You you schmooze with the business people, and you know the studios set it all up and they form they put together these things and you you talk to all these important people and. You shake hands with everyone. You like kiss. It's like being a politician and kissing babies. And some actors don't do that. Some actors do. They have to actually spend a lot of their own money doing that. They yeah. And it takes up a lot of time. It takes. It's like the Oscar season is like a season. Like they have to do a lot of just smoozing to, and it helps them get the nomination and also helps them get the Oscar. It's not just. It's not like oh vote for me. It's like. It how's, ma- it the, ma- how's that cop salad? Yeah, it Good, makes right? it makes the voters be like, "Oh, I, I, I met him. Oh, I'm gonna vote for him." It gives them like that extra <laughs> touch, you know, that personal. It's it just helps put it over the edge and gives people a big, better chance to get nominated and also to win an award. So Johnny Depp's someone who never does that. Doesn't care about awards. Doesn't care about schmoozing. He's always been rejective of Hollywood. So I would say that's why he's never won an Oscar. But I think. I think he might win in sometime in the next ten years. I think he'll get a role that was that is perfect for the right moment for him and for the culture of Hollywood, and the stars will align. And he's on the way to forming a new comeback. I think that you know the underdog story, the comeback story is very sexy for the press, and so I think that he has a good shot of winning an Oscar sometime in the next ten years. We'll see. Maybe they'll they'll do it like Brad for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because. I mean, Brad's great in one spot time in Hollywood, but yeah. like, when is you, that an Oscar winning performance? When you compare it to like, especially the supporting actor category, he's just being really cool, Brad. Yeah, Brad Pitt the whole Brad, time. Yeah. He's great. He's, I love that movie, and he's terrific in it. But like, compared to Christian, that, Christian Bale on the Fighter, when you look yeah. at Brad's entire career, is it even a top five performance for him? Probably not. It's up there, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's top three. No way. He's he's done better. Done. He's done much better work. Benjamin Button's did a great performance. Yeah, he's so good in that. Yeah, Benjamin Button. So it's like, it's kind of the same thing. Will will it finally come a day where people, the audience is like, you're right, it's the right role. He's going to get the nomination, then the Hollywood Foreign Press and the voters. Everyone will be like, like, yeah. Yeah, let's let's give it to Johnny. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, his personal life has a lot of controversy around it. Brad won before his personal life got a lot of controversy, which got 
brought up. But again I this. think that Johnny Depp has recuperated a lot in the last month. with public opinion. Yeah. The court of public opinion has shifted towards Johnny yeah. Depp's favor for sure. So that's why I think he. And obviously, we don't know anything about the situation besides what we've seen in the press and yeah. watching on TV and Twitter. So we don't know anything about it. We can't really speak on the trial or anything or what happened. But no, I can speak on public opinion is, is in favor now. Exactly. It's in that, his favor. That's a fact. Yeah. It absolutely is. If you go on film yeah. Twitter, film talk. Or just like in the journalism and in the press. It's, just everyone... been, it's also been interesting to see Hollywood like kind of like divide and split up between who they're supporting versus the two pe- the two parties involved. Yeah, it is. But we'll see. I think he can do it. I would. I mean, Johnny... I think it's, it's, it's going to be like a Brendan Fraser kind of comeback thing. It's possible. Well, the thing with Frazier, though, he's gone for so long. Frazier was yeah. out of it for like 15 years. He wasn't out, not 15 when was years. Last, when was Mummy 3? Mummy 3 was probably 2011. No and way. And then Journey dude. to the Center of the Earth was like 2008. Hold on. Yeah. Hold the phone. It's been 15 years. Is, that's a little Journey extreme. Journey to the Center of the Earth. Let's see when this first movie came out. 2008. Oh, my God. I was right on the money. 2008. <laughs> I was right on the mummy. <laughs> Let me see. Mummy 3. 2008, both 2008. Oh, wow. So, like I said, 15 years. That wasn't the last thing he did. Yes, it was. The company man, he did, he did plenty of things. He disappeared. <laughs> 2008 was not his he last year into as an actor. A, he, he walked into a fog. Oh, my God. He walked into <laughs> a fog and guy. no one's seen him since. <laughs> you, I love how you just acted like you were right. I, 2008, I, I, win. I, I win. I win, everybody. I win. I win. I have a three, a jack, a queen, a seven. I win. I win. What's um, this game called? Up, I win. Filmography. Let me see. Let's see. Yeah, so I would say his career really so at 2010, 2011. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. What What are those movies he was in then? Extraordinary Measures with Harrison Ford. Okay. Not Not too shabby, starring with Harrison Ford in a movie. But Harrison's been in some duds, bro. Yeah, but it's still Harrison Ford. He's been in some duds. But then after that, it was just a bunch of movies I've never heard of. So yeah. Did just you hear th- about Did you hear about the alimony he was paying? I just did. Yeah. It was like $100,000 like, yeah, a, a month, month yeah. to his ex-wife. Don't get married in California if you're rich. $100,000 a month yeah. in child support alimony. You have to maintain the lifestyle that you had when you were married. She must that's, have a good lawyer, but my Well, goodness. no, that's the law in California. Yeah. You you have whoever's whatever spouse makes the more money, they have to, after separation, maintain that lifestyle for the other person. That's just what I've heard. I'm not sure if it's fact, so someone can fact check us no, on I saw, that. No, I, I read more, an interview where he said that. More or less, I read an interview where he said that. $100,000 a month. That's goodbye to your fortune. That, that adds made. up. Oh, Especially when you're not working on movies that could help you afford that. That's insane. Yeah, when you can't maintain that, that payment cycle or that lifestyle. like that's, You're just draining money. That blows my mind. Yeah. $100,000 a month. Yeah. Who needs- What's your kid eating? Truffles? <laughs> like every meal? Truffles, 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 truffles? <laughs> Let's get him a Capri Sun, call it a day. <laughs> Make him a grilled cheese. <laughs> I wipe my own ass. God damn, poor guy. Chicken nuggets with truffle. <laughs> truffle truffle is expensive. It's called the Black Diamond in the black market. Really? Yeah, that's what they call it. Every fine dining restaurant uses truffle. It's... I think truffles a little overrated. I enjoy <laughs> Get it. Get out of here. I never truffles go, delicious. I never go out of my way to order it. So I got I'll eat like, yeah, sure, I'll try your truffle fries. <laughs> I'll try your truffle risotto, but I'm not gonna order it. I love it. I actually so I get truffle ketchup at Trader Joe's. This, this is not an ad. <laughs> this is like my thing. I always I saw you eating it today. You're yeah, on my meatloaf. Plate. I can yeah. smell it down the hall. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> but they have this new tomato sauce. I never get canned sauce. I always make my own sauces. 
But something caught my eye at Trader Joe's the other day. It was this spicy chili truffle tomato sauce, and I was like, oh, I'm going to try this. Is there really truffle in it? Yeah, it's tr- truffle flakes in it. And I made it the other day. And it was the it was probably and I'm not exagger I'm not just being like a Trader Joe's horror over here. <laughs> it was probably the best canned sauce I ever had. It in was your life. Um, it was if unbelievable. you like truffle. It, no, it, but it wasn't like tr- it wasn't overpowering. You got the flavor, but it wasn't overpowering. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't even like as truffly as that ketchup. But you got the the sense of it. Their ketchup is very truffly. Oh my god, it was so goddamn good. I was like, Jim might like this. It was. <laughs> I'm my mouth's watering thinking about it. I was like, this is the best buy I've made at Trader Joe's in a long time. It was so for canned sauce. Oh my god, it was good. I'm gonna have to try it sometime. Yeah, you should try it. Honestly, I think you might like it because it's just so flavor. It wasn't truffly, and it has chili. So it has a good. I like kick. chili. It a has lot. that. There's the chili flavor, and I think it balanced the truffle flavor, and it had a kick to it. It was it's like because like, like how much truffle is actually in there? It's just truffle crumbs, like little pieces, gotcha. of tiny tiny pieces of truffle inside of it. I get why people like it. So it's good. just for me and my I love palate. I love it's it. Good. It's good. Like in in Rome, I got a carbonara, and he's like truffle. I was like, oh yeah, unload it, bro. Unload <laughs> it. <laughs> I get it, but it's not like my forte. Yeah, it's it's an acquired taste. I'll eat it. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not gonna compl- I'm not gonna send it back or anything. And I will eat truffle fries or whatever. Wow, look at you. I won't order it though. You are such a grown up. <laughs> 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 truffle chicken nuggies. I would go with those chicken tendies. Chicken <laughs> dino nuggets. Chicken tendies with truffle. I'd eat that. You're a big tendy person. I love tendies. It's good protein. You man. have a lot of tendies. I, I consume maybe like a dozen a week. Attendees. <laughs> well, it's like six at a time, man. It's a lot. That's how you get the gains. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's delicious protein. The air fryer, the tendies. <laughs> you think Johnny Depp has an air fryer <laughs> on that Bahamas island? I don't think he does. I bet he has an air fryer. He has to seem like an air fryer. Yo, when you're drinking guy. that much wine, there's no way you're not drunkenly making chicken tendies in an air fryer. No, maybe in the microwave, but not in an air fryer. Air, air fryer is so specific way to cook. It's so easy. Yeah, but I mean, no. Hey, listen. Johnny likes the finer things in life. <laughs> He's going to air fry his tendies. <laughs> he ain't microwaving his tendies, boy. No, no way. They're too soggy. <laughs> air fryer life. No, he's got a chef. Probably. But I mean, sometimes the chef goes home and sleeps. He, no. guess, where he, guess where he's making his tendies in? His air fryer. Chef, celebrity chefs, they cook three meals a day for them. This has become like a new thing on TikTok, celebrity chefs. It'll be like a... a there's a couple. There's this girl, and she shows you what she makes during the day and like what she shops for. Oh, I've seen for. this channel before, yeah. Yeah, and the stuff she makes for, and she calls them her clients, and you can tell it's like she's talking. And she's like, "My client requested this," and you're like, "It's definitely like a ten year old mac and cheese." <laughs> but she like makes the most amazing looking food, and it's like imagine that, like this. She just spends all day at their house cooking and shopping and preparing. Mm-hmm. And it's they probably pays so well, but imagine living the lifestyle of there is a world class chef preparing food for you every meal, and it's not just food; it is like the highest caliber quality and creativity of that dish you can imagine. I've seen her TikTok, and I've yeah. seen her go through her schedule of menus, and it's what it's she crazy. Like puts it like every month she has like a full calendar of menus ready to go. It's yeah. like so fascinating; it's so much work. I wonder how much she gets she paid. Probably, she makes hey, bank. She I makes bet. good money because she I'm make, sure her Christmas bonus is huge too. Yeah. And the food looks so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, to be rich. 
Uh, not us. Not no, us, man. Not us, guy. We got the it's chicken okay. tendies. I got the, the truffle fryer. ketchup. <laughs> That's when you know you're poor when you eat truffle ketchup. <laughs> no, no. It is. Hold on. It's like because five... rich people don't even eat ketchup, bro. No, no, no. It's like five bucks and it's in a small jar. So exactly. I spend a lot on that ketchup. Oh, yeah. It's pricey ketchup. Dollar per ounce. That's, that is not poor person ketchup. No offense, but <laughs> poor people are not getting that truffle ketchup. All okay. right. You know what? You're doing pretty well. A middle class. Then why, why are you wearing? Why are you wearing shoes from the movie? <laughs> you bought twenty dollars shoes on Amazon as a prop and as wardrobe, and you're wearing them. They're like, actually they're so. Listen, <laughs> I'm not poor. <laughs> wearing I'm twenty dollars sneakers. I'm, I'm frugal. Frugal with your travel ketchup. Yes. Now the travel ketchup sounds fucked up. <laughs> so the shoes. Here's the thing: the shoes. So they were they were actually like eighteen bucks on Amazon. I got them for the movie for a character to wear in one scene, and he wore them. And I was like, I didn't return them, but I was like, hold on, let me try them on. They're actually not that bad. So they're not comfortable to walk in, <laughs> but they actually suck to walk in. But I like to wear shoes when I when I'm working on at the desk. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't want to be like sitting sit like Indian style or just like in socks and slippers and like watch your language so sorry. canceled sorry what's it, what it called crisscross Chris applesauce, applesauce. <laughs> get it right sorry <laughs> canceled <laughs> how so, dare you grow up saying it like that <laughs> so I like to nowadays I wear shoes while I'm editing or writing or whatever it makes it feel like oh it's like I'm, I'm being like it's a job like you know you're, you're not a bum <laughs> no, working no, from home yeah, in exactly. your bedroom yeah exactly <laughs> uh, so it helps me feel like I'm I'm more like professional. So these are actually perfect for it because they're very light and very comfortable when you're not walking. So actually, <laughs> so long as you don't stand up, they're great. If you stand up, it's okay. If you stand up, just don't walk in them. They're ter- like I wore them to the movies today. Like it was, it's, it's tough to walk in these. They're good to wear if you're playing. The floor is lava. <laughs> it's like it's like their sandals just with a cover on. <laughs> That's how comfortable they are to walk in. But they're they're perfect for sitting. You're gonna get arthritis in your feet. I know it. It's just a friggin' shoe. Yeah, I mean, if you have the wrong shoes, it hurts your feet. I'm sitting. There's no weight on my feet. You had to walk back here. They're not that bad. <laughs> You're wearing flats. Yeah, but these are trainers. These, these are designed are, to be flat for, these are for working out. Yeah, same with these. Oh, yeah, tell me about the design. These? Yeah. They're great. Wow, thank you for getting so specific. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> no arthritis with those. No, no, these are specifically made for, for working out. I understand. Yeah. I know, I know what trainers For are. lifting. Yeah, I know. Have you ever been in the gym? <laughs> The cameras are out. <laughs> right. We got the we got the main one back. Yeah, the backup going. Yeah. All right, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. We got the backup cameras. Most people are listening, anyways. That's true. On Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it's okay if the cameras go out. <laughs> you got anything else on Johnny? I love the guy. I think he's a supreme talent and legend, icon, one of the greatest actors of all time. Do you put him in top ten all time? No. It's tough to it's tough to put him in there because there are so many legends. How about top ten like male lead actors? Is he up there? Probably not. But I would put him in top twenty. Yeah, top twenty for sure. He's got to be. There's a lot of great older actors. I know. And there's also a lot of great, um, you know, actors from other countries too. Mm-hmm. You know that I would put over him. But he still is. I, I mean, I could put him top twenty all time. Top twenty male lead actors. Yeah. Johnny Depp's up there for sure. Yeah, he's in there. One of the most interesting choices for roles. One oh, yeah. of the best chameleons when it comes to actors in roles. Oh, yeah. One of the most eclectic performers and choice of roles in, in films. And just 
a really interesting guy, and I love he's the a cool movie. dude. I love the movie <laughs> he chooses to do, and it's just he's he's so interesting. And we've grown up with we've watched his movies so much. And yeah. everyone listening to this, I'm, I know you grew up watching Johnny Depp, and he's one of your favorite actors growing up for sure. Oh yeah, that's why you're listening to this episode so long. Me as a eight year old watching Chuck a lot. <laughs> no, you're ten, 10 when you became a man. <laughs> Chocolat. But I mean, Chocolat, the Chocolat. choices he's made in his career for roles, it's just fascinating. And I, and I love when actors make those bold decisions. And, you know, I think young actors today that are doing like, like Timmy doing movies like Bones and All and, and other films that are just like the typical A-lister star wouldn't pick or like a heartthrob wouldn't pick. I love when people choose things out of like what everyone expects them to do yeah yeah and i i think the career path he's chosen is so fun and i love his roles in his movies and i can't wait to see his latest film as louis the 15th. he's gonna speak french in it can't wait he's actually fluent in french yeah he his daughter's fluent and his wife his ex-wife is french mm-hmm. so that's why he he learned french when they were together in the 90s and became fluent and so this is his first role where he's going to be playing it all french can't wait to see it I'm sure people are excited about it. And thanks for tuning in to this episode of A Career Spotlight on Johnny Depp. Make sure to get your tickets to our live show. It's happening very soon, everybody. In 12 goddamn days. We got to figure really? out what we're doing. Oh, my on. God. Today's the 9th. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be on January 21st. That's a Saturday, 12 p.m. Pacific time. Now, remember, that means that anyone around the world can tune in. And we've scheduled it so that it's... 7 a.m. in Australia. It's 8 p.m. in the UK. So basically anyone around the world where you're listening and watching our show, you can tune into the live broadcast of the show as we're performing. And you get those tickets from moment.co moment. slash Raiders of the Lost. And those are digital experience tickets, a third of the price of the live in-person tickets, which are still on sale for in-person in Los Angeles at dynastytypewriter.com. That's the name of the theater. It's the Hayworth Theater, downtown Los Angeles, dynastytypewriter.com. Go on January 21st, just right there on the calendar. You can find us. You can get tickets to the show. It's only 30 bucks, 200-seat theater. It's going to be an awesome, fun experience. It's an old movie theater. It's an old movie theater turned into a stage theater. They got concession stands. It fits the aesthetic and vibe of the show. Talking about movies, we can't wait to perform for everybody and have a live audience janice will be there which would be super cool dennis mm-hmm. will be there as well but the a lot of people are flying out and driving out people have been messaging us they're so you're all so excited to come and if you can't make it in person again just get the digital tickets online they're only 12 dollars bucks yeah. you also have access to a cool after party backstage with us and only... you can interact with us during the show with the chat box we'll be we'll be yeah. reading your comments on stage if you mm-hmm. and we'll have segments where on on during the show where we talk to people online and everything so it's going to be super fun. We're very excited about it. It's our first live show, and we're going to try to make it as fun and interactive as possible. It won't be like a typical format that we do, but we want to obviously make it movie-related, but also audience-related and, and engage with you in the crowd and also engage with you online. And We, we can't wait, so make sure to get those tickets. If The links will all be in the bio of this episode on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Wherever you're listening, just go to the bio. You can click on the links that I'll put there. Or just go to the bios of our Instagram, Twitter accounts, everything. That link will take you to ticket sales, both types. It's going to be awesome. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in to our episode on Johnny Depp. Take care. See you next time. And hope you're having a wonderful 2023. Bye, y'all. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, 
Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam, Sal Koching, Nick Martin, and Chandler Johnson. Thank you so much for supporting our show. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.